The following podcast has been paid for by Perched on the Top Rope. to Perched on the Top Rope. I am your host, former dirt sheet writer from Ringside News, Sports Kita, Daily DDT, The Richest, and The Sportster. I am Lee Walker. This is episode 172. And on this episode, we have the media call for Full Gear with Tony Khan, and we have Full Gear predictions. But first, let's talk about what happened last night on the Ring of Honor tapings. Ladies and gentlemen, something I thought would never happen, let alone her working the independent scene. Ronda Rousey made her appearance at Ring of Honor, teaming with her friend Marina Shafir, and wow. This is something I don't think anyone saw coming, but I do want to talk about this. Ronda Rousey is a big deal, UFC Hall of Famer, WWE multiple time champion there, multiple time, you know, UFC champ, things like that. Why did you debut her on a pre-recorded show, let alone just Ring of Honor? So, that happened last night. Now, we talked about who we think the big signing is that you can hear after the media call with Tony Khan. I am still adamant that it's going to be Will Ospreay, but with Ronda Rousey showing up, that puts a big twist in who it could possibly be for this contract signing. So make sure, fans, you tune in tonight. Fight TV, Bleacher Report, AEW Full Gear. Zero Hour starts at 7 p.m. with the main show starting at 8 p.m. So enjoy the media call and enjoy the rest of the show. Remember, spoiler free is the way to be. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Here we connect with Tony Khan uh, to catch up on all the action leading into full gear this Saturday night at the Kia Forum in L.A. So just a few uh, quick housekeeping items um, in the interest of time and uh, give everyone a chance to participate. We kindly ask that you refrain from asking two-party questions or three-party questions. Let's try to keep it to one question per report. Also, please try to keep your questions focused on the upcoming shows this week. And as Robin mentioned, please make sure your phone is unmuted. Okay, let's go. Let's turn it over to Tony Khan right now for some opening thoughts, and I'm going to open your lines for questions. Tony. Thank you, Jim. Hey, everybody. I'm so excited about this week. This is one of my favorite weeks in wrestling, one of my favorite weeks in life, full gear week, and it's really special being out here in L.A. I don't want to take up too much time. I want as many of you to get a chance to ask a question as possible, and uh, I'll stay as long as I can to get as many questions in as we can. So with that, Jim, please uh, take it away. All right, let's go. Jim Varsalone from the Miami Herald will begin. And we'd like to ask Phil Strom from USA Today's Under the Ring to be ready after uh, Tony and Jim connect. Jim, you're up. Uh, thanks, everybody. With this big event coming up, and it, it looks like a great card again. Curious, because obviously the big thing with Sting announcing retirement, Ric Flair's going to be there for this one coming up. I'm curious with Darby, because 
Darby has done awesome. Has there been thoughts already, because Darby's been with Sting for a while now, of, okay, now what, what are we going to do with Darby? Maybe not specifics, but has there been thoughts yet about that once Sting does retire? That's a great question, Jim. I think it's important to remember Darby was on fire before Sting got here and has continued to stay on fire. I think Sting has been a great mentor to Darby, and the crazy thing is, I think for the crazy world of uh, modern 2023 present-day wrestling, I think Darby has been an awesome person to help Sting get reintroduced after taking a lot of time away. And Darby is a great mind for wrestling, and he's one of our top stars, and I think certainly it's very fitting he'll be alongside Sting for Sting's retirement. Also, I think Darby's got such a bright future many years ahead after Sting retires, but I, I'm really glad that the two of them have had this great run. It's been nearly three years now, and it's been something I've really enjoyed and one of the most special things I've ever been a part of. Thanks, Jim. Thank you very much, Jim. Phil Strum from USA Today's Under the Ring is next. Stephanie Chase from Digital Spy will follow. Phil. Hey, Tony. Thanks again for doing this. Um, my question was about uh, Sting's retirement tour, if we can talk about that a little bit. You know, we saw last year what, what that looked like with Muda uh, in a lot of places. And can you give us a glimpse into your thinking as you begin to plot out what that looks like? And just if you could share what he and his career mean to you and the locker room and the staff as, you know, as a promoter, as a fan, as whatever perspective you want to choose. Thanks. Well, Sting is important to everybody in AEW, and we all have different memories, and that's one of the great things about wrestling. Since it's on 52 weeks a year, every week, year in, year out, for our entire lifetimes, there are all kinds of different ways we associate memories. But I think for many people on this call, I would imagine, and certainly everybody I know in AEW, Sting is Sting is a, somebody that so many of us have been a fan of, but as we've gotten to know him and work with him, he's also the nicest person I've ever known. He's so kind and so genuine. He's selfless, and I'm in awe of him. Sting is uh, somebody that I think we should all aspire to be like. He's really uh, just one of the most positive and warm people I've ever known. And he's also such a, an incredible legend in the perseverance and staying power of Sting to be in this business and coming up on, uh, you know, real, realistically, three years in AEW that have been just incredible for us. And I hope we've made it a great send-off for him. And, you know, I'm so excited to have Sting here in AEW for the remainder of his time here, and we want to make the most of it. And anytime Sting is in a city, it's, it's really great because it may be their last time to see Sting there. And here in Los Angeles this weekend, I believe this will be Sting's last match in L.A. And I think it's very fitting that it would be with such great partners as Darby and Adam Copeland and taking on one of AEW's greatest stars 
and the TNT champion Christian Cage alongside the patriarchy, Luke Soros and Nick Wayne. And uh, for Sting, I expect he will go out in a great blaze of glory. Uh, nobody tries to talk Sting into doing the insane things he does in these matches, uh, and he's always trying to push the limits. And I think it goes to show that he just wants the fans to have a good time, and that's a mindset Sting's brought to wrestling for so many years. And now in 2023, I mean, these these past couple of years, I think Sting's been crazier than ever and, and done some of the wildest stuff he's ever done in wrestling in his 60s. And uh, we just want to make sure we give him a great last run here in AEW. Thanks for asking about it. Thank you, Phil. Stephanie Chase from Digital Spy is next. Mike McGuire from Vista Radio in Canada will follow Stephanie. Stephanie. Hi, Tony. How are you? I am very well, Stephanie. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm great, Tony. Thanks for talking to me today. Um, I know I asked you before a couple of months ago about the female voices backstage in the creative meetings, booking, agenting, and just within the company in general. And we've seen in the past few months like the hiring of Jimmy Jacobs, another male on the creative side. And it's recently been reported that a top female in the company, your legal chief, Mega, has stepped back to focus on the Jags. Um, I know she's not from the wrestling side of it. Um, you've still got Sarah Stock in there, but has there been any increase in female voices backstage, either giving their ideas creatively, taking input, or when it comes to larger company decisions? Well, two of the top executives on the wrestling side who work as coaches and are in my office every week putting ideas together and working with women and men in AEW are Sarah Stock and Madison Rain, and both of them are doing a great job. And we see both of them every week coming in and uh, putting in great ideas. And Madison Rain's been with us for a long time. She was not traveling every week with an injury, but I really enjoy working with her. I thought she did a great job last night. And Sarah Stock has been awesome since she came in. Uh, because she also speaks Spanish, she is able to communicate better than some other people backstage with some of the luchadors who come into AEW. So Sarah Stock has worked with a lot of the great women and men and been involved in some of the best matches on TV recently. And uh, we have a great group of people here, and I think uh, it's a great group of women and men on the staff, and absolutely uh, those are two of my favorites on the wrestling side. Thank you, Stephanie. Mike McGuire from Vista Radio in Canada, you are next. John Orchiola from Screen Rant will follow. Mike. Hey, Tony. Thank you very much for the time today. Always appreciate these media calls, and I love the chance to talk to you here. Um, a question about just your, your planning going into full gear and, and even shows moving forward from here. You've obviously been dealing with a lot of injuries, a lot of plan Bs, plan Cs, and maybe some of these decisions have been made more on the fly than others. And I don't want you to spill the beans here. I like watching wrestling and being surprised. But I guess the, the question I have is, with the level of, of intensity that your wrestlers are putting out in the ring today, are you coming up with plan Bs and plan Cs more often now in case something, heaven forbid, does happen in the ring? Well, it's a great question. I think we got some practice at that in the lockdown era because very frequently, and again, I mentioned earlier, and we all know it, wrestling is a 52-week-a-year business. There's no off-season, and it is the ultimate nonstop marathon that, 
that never ends until you quit. And I think that in the lockdown era in 2020 and 21, we got a lot of practice with people being out with, uh, you know, during the lockdown, either exposures or people who would you know, had COVID. And so we didn't want them to come in and, and we would change plans from what we previously had to, to uh, protect those people and protect everybody. And there were periods of time where lots of people weren't traveling. So I changed a lot of things and uh, it sometimes led to great moments. Like John Moxley and Eddie Kingston was something that if you watched all out 2020, there was a battle Royal and it came down to Lance Archer and Eddie Kingston. And if you watch it, I think it's clear. Those are the two guys, not only obviously the two final people in the casino battle Royal, but also two people that I was setting up where they were both future John Moxley opponents, but uh, Eddie ended up moving up uh, the order and, and uh, that match happened sooner than I was originally planning it. It worked out great. And here we are at full gear and that ended up being, uh, the main event of Full Gear three years ago, one of my favorite shows we've done. And there's been so many great things along the way that happened due to an injury or a change. But on the flip side, I can't lie to you and say it's been easy or that, you know, I've been happy about it. I think that some of the stuff that happened at Grand Slam in particular, it was such a great show and we're on such a great run of big events, yet losing Adam Cole for uh, an extended period of time and John Moxley for a shorter period of time, but one that also had major effects on the company. These were really challenging. And also those guys were on a roll and doing great stuff. I was John Moxley and Orange Cassidy were on fire and Adam Cole and NJF had been just crushing it for us. So it really was challenging those in particular. And we've had a lot of stuff come up, but I think it's been great how everyone's pulled together and what's awesome to me is we've been able to continue this awesome streak of pay-per-views i've said it over and over because i believe it's true since collision started in particular i think we're on the best run of pay-per-views we've ever done you know we started the year great with revolution and there were a lot of things i liked at double or nothing and then when collision kicked in i absolutely believe that when we went from doing three hours of television every week to five hours of tv every week It allows us to tell a lot more stories, and it definitely sets us up in a good position going into the pay-per-views, not only to be able to build up more matches, but also feature more great wrestling on TV every week uh, to get us to the pay-per-views, and it has only made the pay-per-views feel more special, and I believe that the run we're on from Forbidden Door in Toronto, and then the biggest thing we've ever done, of course, all in Wembley, London Stadium, and then all out and Wrestle Dream. That's my favorite run of shows we've done, and now we have a chance to extend it this weekend, Saturday, at Full Gear, and it's been a lot of changes to get here, and that isn't dissimilar from Full Gear 2020 in some ways, where there were changes along the way, and that ended up being one of my favorite shows we ever did, and I hope we can uh, continue this great run we're on this Saturday at Full Gear. Thanks very much for asking. Thanks, Mike. John Orchiola from Screen Rant, you are next. Dominic D'Angelo from Ad Free Shows will follow. John?
John? Well, how about we go to Dominic D'Angelo from Ad Free Shows, and then we'll try John uh, after Dominic. Dominic, are you ready to go? Yeah. Hey, uh, Tony, can you hear me okay? Yep. Yep, I hear you great. Okay, awesome. Hey, uh, wanted to kind of get your insight a little bit on the growth and evolution of MJF. Um, AEW's kind of had some sound ambassadors throughout the year from a wrestling perspective. I'd say like Cody Rhodes was a big one starting off, then he left, and uh, you even had CM Punk, but then other talents, Brian Danielson. Would you consider uh, MJF a big ambassador for you guys as a company? And where do you see uh, his growth growing uh, moving forward as his contract is set to expire at the, in 2024? Well, MJF is the AEW world champion and face of the company in so many ways and has been with us since the very beginning. He was involved in the very first AEW match ever from start to finish. And he's been involved in so many of our best shows and great moments in AEW. And when you talk about the greatest homegrown stars, I think the conversation starts with MJF and he is a great champion and we've seen him grow a lot as a champion. When he started, he really took shortcuts and we heard MJF say he wanted to be a champion who held on to the title by hook or by crook and uh, only defended it when it, he was forced to in mandatory matches. And now he's grown into a fighting champion. And I think a lot of this happened when he bonded with Adam Cole. Every time we'd seen MJF make a connection with somebody, he'd stab them in the back time after time. And we don't know what's going to happen with Adam Cole and MJF. Nobody does, I think. Uh, but uh, I think that it's certainly been something that's definitely affected him on as far as how he's treated the championship and himself as the champion. And I think there's been great growth there in MJF on screen and off screen. MJF's been a great leader for AEW and somebody that we can really count on as a great champion, which I don't know if anybody would have predicted that when we did the first AEW show at the LA Forum. So it shows how much things can change in a year and uh, year and change. And so uh, I believe not only is MJF one of our great homegrown stars and the kind of prodigious and uh, the kind of indelible wrestling talent that we want here. And I think that yes, somebody people will talk about for a long time. And as long as he's been here, we've loved having him in AEW. And certainly uh, I think he's grown into becoming a great champion too. Thanks for asking. Thank you, Nate. <clears throat> Thank you, Dominic. Um, John Orchiola, are you happy to be with us? Hi. Um, no, he can't. Um, we can't get his mic um, okay. working, but he sent me his question. Well, why don't you put that into a chat, Robin? Okay. And, and let's go to uh, Bill Pritchard from WrestleZone. Um, <clears throat> we'll come next. And after that, I've got a write-in. Um, uh, from uh, Ayman Jahali from LA Excites. 
Bill, you're up. Hey, Tony, how are you? Doing great. Thanks for asking. So Brian Danielson was just pulled from WrestleCade coming up, and it, the it, reasoning was it, unforeseen circumstances. But he's advertised for next week's uh, AEW shows. Um, so I was wondering if you could speak to the reason why he was pulled from that. I'm not sure, Brian. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, I would let Brian. I don't want to speak for him on that, but I know Brian always puts the wrestling as a priority. There's also uh, the issue of we're waiting for Brian to get final clearance to fly. He was able to come to collision in Oakland this past weekend because it was a drive that he was able to make, but he's not able to fly. He can ride in a car. So uh, Pittsburgh is a long way from where he lives. And uh, also WrestleCade, I believe, is a long way from where he lives. So there's a couple of uh, things still at play there, but I, I would let him uh, speak to that. But I, I uh, you know, I, I'm not too familiar with that event. So I, I can't say. Thanks. Thank you, Bill. <clears throat> I've got a write-in here from Ayman Jalali from LA Sites. And here's his question, uh, Tony. Uh, given how anticipated the Hangman Swerve match is, perhaps more so than any other match on the Full Gear card, please talk about why you think their storyline has resonated so much with the fans. Well, they're two of the top stars. Swerve and Hangman are on fire, each of them right now, and I think they've had a great chemistry. They wanted to fight each other from the beginning, and what we've seen, the way it's played out, it's been a great rivalry. And I think it's great to see in wrestling two people that care so much about beating the hell out of each other and what started as a rivalry about who can out-wrestle each other and who is going to be the bigger star going forward has turned into something far more personal. And I really enjoyed it. And I thought last night was uh, an incredible segment and a lot of credit to both men for making it possible. I think Swerve... Uh, some of his actions along the way have been unscrupulous, but they've made for good wrestling. And I've had people ask me at times uh, questions about some of what's happening with some of the heels and why I haven't punished them for some of the things they've done. And frankly, I don't think it's my place to, and I don't think it would serve the baby faces in these situations for me to be doing that. And it's come up also. Uh, in the world championship and I could address that in another time but in this situation with Swerve and Hangman there's been some stuff that's happened outside of the ring and it's really not my place it would be the place of the authorities perhaps uh, but for me it's, it's pro wrestling and I would want them to settle it in the ring and that goes hand in hand with last night we are so close to one of the biggest events in wrestling we're so close to one of my favorite nights I can't wait to walk into the forum on Saturday morning and realize fully that it's full gear and it's in the forum. I can't believe it. And it's going to be awesome. And this is one of the reasons I'm so excited for the swerve hangman, Texas death match. And we're bringing the Texas death match to Hollywood. I think that's awesome. 
and these are the two guys you'd want to have in it. And uh, as for should I have suspended Swerve or, uh, you know, punished Swerve for the home invasion, absolutely not. I think that's uh, the place for the legal authorities to do stuff like that. And in this case, uh, I want them to settle it in the ring. And it's helped make what you just said in your great question a lot of interest in one of the most anticipated wrestling matches of the year, which is Hangman Page versus Swerve Strickland in the Texas death match this Saturday at AEW full gear in Los Angeles. And I can't think of a better way for them to deal with their issues than in the ring. And that's why last night when we're so close to the pay-per-view, I had said these two cannot touch each other. And if either of them attacks the other, they attack each other. The match is off and both of them are banned for the rest of the year, which nobody wants. And, Certainly neither of them and their families and their businesses, they don't want that. So it ended up making for a very effective segment. And I think we heard Hangman as angry as we've ever heard him. And he's been in some of the best Texas death matches I've ever seen. And Swerve's on this incredible run. We saw Swerve had Hangman's number at Wrestle Dream in Swerve's hometown, Seattle. And I can't wait to see what happens this Saturday at AEW Full Gear. Thanks. Thank you very much, Hyman. <laughs> um, um, we're gonna go now to Jaime Falcon from the Los Angeles Times. And following Jaime, we're gonna then go to Amy Nemedy from WrestleJoy. Jaime, you're up. How's it going? Tony, thank you uh, for making time for us today and hope you're enjoying this beautiful L.A. weather compared to what you had to deal with yesterday. Um, yeah, it's great. Just want to hit you with a, a quick question. Los Angeles is a minority-majority area that's long been a place where like diverse performers have thrived going back to the large Lucha Libre pay-per-views of the 90s. Have you taken any inspiration from those previous shows and how you approach the market that's been geared towards supporting AEW? Well, it's a great question, uh, and certainly uh, the market has shown great support for the Lucha Libre stars, and we've been trying to integrate more great Lucha Libre into the AEW programs week in, week out, and it's paid great dividends, and I'm excited about it, and it's great having so many of the top Lucha stars in the world competing in AEW, and uh Going forward, we want to do a lot more of it, and I absolutely think it's a great point, and it's something that we've uh, been thinking a lot about, and I've been trying to cultivate relationships. Of course, everybody saw Mystico came in recently from CMLL and competed in AEW, and from the beginning of AEW, we've tried to have great Lucha Libre stars involved. Some of the most decorated wrestlers in the history of AEW are the Lucha Brothers, Pentel Zero Mieto and Ray Phoenix, who've held the World Tag Team Championship and the World Trios Championship, and Ray Phoenix has held the International Championship, which puts him on a very short list uh, with Pac and Kenny Omega, as I believe the only three people in AEW ever to hold singles, tag, and trios championships. And we have, uh, in addition this weekend, something I'm really excited about, which is the return of Roosh. And when Roosh and his brother Drylistico and the LFI came back 
to AEW. I think there's been so much interest, and Roosh brings an intensity and an authenticity that everybody can see when he gets out and fights. And his brother, Drylisco, has so much upside, so much potential, and they've earned this spot in this world championship match. The fans are behind LFI, even though they're very polarizing uh, in AEW. And it feels like uh, Roosh has that chemistry, that leadership to make LFI very relevant as well. Andrade Alidolo has been a great competitor for us lately. And uh, in addition to the great stars in AEW, young stars that we've been trying to bring up, like Commander, who we signed, I also am really excited about the return from injury of Bandito, who I would have loved to have featured this week. He's one of my favorite up-and-coming wrestlers, and he's a great person. I think the world of Bandito, and I, I wish he was healthy, and he will be soon. So there's a lot of great Lucha stars in AEW, and certainly it's a great market for that. And, uh, you know, that, that that's a, a great thought and a great point, and certainly across this week we've tried to have uh, a number of Lucha stars involved this week with AEW in California. Thanks for asking. Thank you, Lanny. Amy Nemeny from WrestleJoy is next. Sean Ross Sapp from Fightful will follow Amy. You're up, Amy. Hey, Tony. The talk of Tinseltown has centered around the Hollywood homecoming of the dazzling dame Tony Storm and her formidable foe, the strikingly dominant warrior Hikaru Shida. As the head of entertainment, Mr. Khan, could you give us a peek behind the velvet curtain to your thoughts of this thrilling showdown at Full Gear for the AEW Women's World Championship? Yeah, I'm really excited for the match. I am very excited about Hikaru Shida versus Tony Storm for the AEW Women's World Championship. It's been a great rivalry, and I'm excited about the match and to take a closer look at it this weekend. I thought the sit-down interview last week was very compelling, and there were some great points. First of all, you have to look at Hikaru Shida, who is the most accomplished champion, arguably, in AEW. I think she would be on a very short list, certainly, of the great women and men who've competed in AEW since the first year and, and dominant competitors. And Hikaru Shida has not been pinned or submitted in 2023. She's been a great champion, and when she regained the championship, she put herself on a not only a very short list, but I believe ensured her immortality in the AEW history books. And the run she's on is amazing. And it was a great sit-down interview between Sheeta and Tony Storm. And something I thought was such a great point uh, was when Tony Storm answered Sheeta's question. She'd asked Tony, what happened to you? As it's clear, Tony's changed a lot, and some people think she's lost her mind. And Tony said, you happened to me. You're the one who's caused all this. You know, I've changed because of you. And it's true. She did had Tony's number. There was a time when the two of them were friends, and uh, she did store, uh, you know, is, a, is something that was a lot of fun. And they had a friendly competitive rivalry and Tony Storm at one time was a poster girl of AEW in a very different way. And she had something 
that some might consider of a fall from grace. I see it differently. When I sat down with Tony a long time ago, we had a shared vision for this stuff. And I came to Tony and showed her some ideas, old Hollywood movies. And it's exactly the kind of stuff she loved. And she had a vision that was very similar uh, of a starlet. And uh, the word she had used at the time months ago when we talked, this was a long time ago. It was when uh, we first started, it was a long time ago, and I'll say this, it was when I first started working on getting Mariah to visa and stuff. And that took longer than I would have liked, but it's worked out great. And uh, so I sat down with Tony a long time ago talking about old movies and plans and things we could do. And she started watching the movies and she sank her teeth into it more than anybody's ever sank her teeth in anything ever. <laughs> and she had such great ideas and then we brainstormed and I think Tony's great and love working with her. And it's just incredible. She is not just channeling the Hollywood starlet. She's become the Hollywood starlet. And it's undeniable. She is timeless Tony Storm now. And I've tried to come up with ideas uh, to involve her in the show, get her more of her segments in, tell the story differently, and portray her and feature her differently than anybody else. And now I think uh, for that uh, great axiom or test, like the Halloween costume wrestler is a wrestler who is enjoyable and is a star and has a gimmick that somebody could go out and do for Halloween. And, uh, you know, and isn't, uh, isn't just a, a necessarily a, a vanilla, something special. Well, I think if somebody wanted to go out and paint themselves black and white and be Tony Storm, that would be a hell of a Halloween costume. And uh, I think she's grown to be something of an immortal character in uh, AEW, I used that word earlier, and I, I mean it because I think there's stuff in wrestling that people will rem remember years from now and talk about. And I think she's doing something people will remember for a long time, and it's only going to keep getting better and better as we keep going on, and it's really just getting started. And I think it's important to remember that, like Tony said, it got started with Sheeta. And Sheeta's the one who set her down this path to madness, is it? Uh, a path other Hollywood starlets have followed, uh, like Norma Desmond or uh, uh, many others. Uh, is there uh, is there a, a, some Margot Channing uh, self-absorbedness in there? Is there? Uh, well, frankly, I'll, I'll save some surprises and and not say much more about it. But I am excited about what's happening with Timeless Tony Storm and Hikaru Shida. I think they're two of the best stars in AEW, and I'm so excited about the match and what Hikaru Shida is doing as the world champion now for the third time and about Tony Storm's Hollywood homecoming this Saturday. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Sean Ross Sapp from Fightful is next, and Sean will be followed by Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer. Sean. 
Hey, Tony. Uh, last or a couple weeks ago, we had the announcement of the all-in presale, and now we have uh, hype surrounding an upcoming signing at AEW Full Gear. Much is made when you have these announcements or even announcements of announcements. How do you sort of weigh when you do that and sort of decide how you hype them up and to what degree you hype them up? Because obviously that's something that's talked about a lot in its own. Well, it's a great question, Sean. That's a really well thought out question. And uh, it's something I weigh all the time because we have to announce matches and announce moments and announce huge things and signings. And sometimes you just try to do what feels right and create engagement. And that's something we've been able to do, uh, whether it be on television or through social media. I think certainly we created a lot of awareness about Wembley uh, by putting uh, a lot of fanfare around the announcement and then uh, putting it on television and getting a lot of eyes on it and conversation about it. And I think now there's a lot of awareness about the December 1st on sale. And I think we've been able to use the TV and social media at times uh, to get people excited. And then there's times where I like to keep people on their toes. And it was fun to have something this past week on Collision that people are blown away by. And that's the Continental Classic, which people are really excited for. And I'll have more information about that right after Full Gear. And, and for those of you coming to Full Gear, I can even talk to you with a lot more details in the scrum after the pay-per-view about where this is going and who's going to be involved in the Continental Classic and what's going to be taking place there in the weeks to come after Full Gear. I think right now I want to keep as much focus on Full Gear as possible. And you mentioned an announcement I had about a new signing. I'm really excited about that. And I think that's going to be someone that will be a great addition to AEW and it's going to be a big deal and it, you know as for how to announce the announcements or when to announce things it's something that uh, definitely uh, there's lots of different ways to slice and dice it and there's tons of different ways to approach that but I'm really just trying to create excitement around uh, our big promotions events wrestlers and get good buzz around the company. And I think we've been able to do that. Last night's show was very well received. And I think people are pumped for full gear this weekend. On Saturday, I should add, by the way, it's weird not the pay-per-views on Sunday, but I'm uh, very, very uh, uh, glad we'll be doing it on Saturday. And then I'm able to red eye back for the Jags game too. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. Thank you, Sean. Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer is next. Paul Berry from Newsweek will follow Dave. Dave? Hey, Tony. How are you? Hey, I'm great, Dave. How are you? I'm, I'm great. I'm great. Uh, I'm looking forward to the weekend. And uh, so as far as, like, I guess it's, it's what, what I'm at kind of curious is, is you, you've done pay-per-views actually with shorter windows between them in the last, you know, since the end of August. And what have you learned, you know, like, pros and cons as far as like putting it together and business-wise and doing that. And also, um, are, are you close to a million-dollar gate for, uh, for for Saturday? Yeah, that's a great – and that's a good uh, – that's a good, great question at the end there, too. We are approaching it. Uh, we've got a great gate. Uh, I 
think it's closer to the 900,000 range right now, and we've got a great chance to make a push with a big walk-up, and I think it's going to be uh, one of the biggest crowds we've had uh, all year, and it's going to be certainly a lot of fun. And I would put the forum on a very short list of my favorite of my favorite venues in the world. And it's been a lot of interesting and great uh, things that we've come from doing more pay-per-view events for us. And it's definitely been great for the business, bottom line. And that is something I felt confident about, frankly, Dave, from years of studying wrestling economics and business trends and something you over the years have written is about the inelasticity of pro wrestling as a market and that really every wrestling company that's expanded the pay-per-view calendar has been happy and for us we launched with four premium pay-per-view events including full gear which is this saturday and is one of my favorites and I'm really looking forward to the weekend, too. Uh, when we added Forbidden Door, it made so much sense. And when that was not only successful, but it was the biggest debut of any of our pay-per-view shows, that made me see that, you know, that what you've said for years, there's a lot of merit to it. And there's now, after we've established ourselves and built up the four events we launched with, Revolution, Double or Nothing, all out in full gear, and we added Wrestle Dream, or excuse me, uh, then we added uh, Forbidden Door. This past year, uh, of course, we did add Wrestle Dream. That was something I had penciled in about a year in advance, like really exactly a year in advance, to, to really, uh, because when Antonio Inoki passed away, I circled the date, and I wanted to do an event that would pay tribute to his life and legacy, and, you know, I believe he's the one who made so much of what we do possible today. And I also, of course, felt really strongly about adding all in. And as you said, there's been different lengths between some of the pay-per-views. It's been anywhere from a week to a month or over a month. And in this case, uh, about a month and a half between Wrestle Dream and Full Gear. And I think that's been good. Uh, but you know, the month between All Out and Wrestle Dream was really hot. We were able to get right into Wrestle Dream, and people liked that. So it feels like we've built a nice calendar this year that's sustainable because all the events have done really well. And we're having our biggest and best year we've ever had on pay-per-view as far as revenues. And it's also been, our, in my opinion, so, that I mean, that's, that's a fact. It's been our best year in terms of revenues and buys. We've brought money in hand over fist, and all, every pay-per-view we've done this year has done really well. And in particular, all in, of course, the live gate was insane with, you know, $10 million gate, over 81,000 tickets sold. But the pay-per-view itself is about 200,000 pay-per-view buys and is one of our top two pay-per-view events ever and was bigger than any pay-per-view we did last year. So that set a new standard as pay-per-view this year has been great business. And then my opinion, and I think it's an opinion shared by a lot of people, including the readers of The Observer, who've given some of these pay-per-views virtually unanimous thumbs up. I think there was one person who gave All Out a thumbs in the middle out of several hundred. I don't know. Who, I would love to know, Dave, who the person who gave All Out a thumbs in the middle is, if you could tell me. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, Wrestle Dream, I think, was pretty similar, almost unanimous, if not unanimous, positive feedback, all in, uh, was an amazing pay-per-view that not only set all our box office records, but was a great show. And Brian Danielson, when he came in last week, said he thought it was the best wrestling show he's ever seen in terms of everything involved with it. And, uh, you know, and then Forbidden Door is probably one of my favorite things. And I have never been more excited for anything than for Brian to go out to Final Countdown to, to face Okada. And it has been great expanding the pay-per-view calendar. And also, I think this this show, people feel really good about these, these shows in recent weeks. Uh, Dynamite was well-received this week. And uh, I think really... Uh, for me, I love the card up, up and down. So it feels like adding more pay-per-views has been a good thing. And then we haven't talked about World End, which is the other new event we're adding. But so far, everything indicates it's a really strong positive. The ticket sales are off to a great start. And I have every reason to believe, based on the data from this year, that that pay-per-view will do very well, hopefully. And... Uh, so yeah, we've, we've learned a lot by expanding the pay-per-view calendar and it's mostly been really positive for us. Thanks. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, Dave. <clears throat> Paul Berry from Newsweek is next. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then I've got a write-in from Aranava Goshal from Sports Kita. Paul. Hey, uh, thanks for the time, uh, Jim, Tony, uh, uh, congrats on a, really strong full gear card uh, shaped up really nicely uh, significant part of the build for full gear has been the many threats coming after max and the uh, AEW world title especially uh, you know the secret identity of the uh, person behind the devil mask uh, so my question is when you're building a story with a secret reveal like this are you actively trying to leave clues for fans to follow and find along the way or are you more working to protect that reveal for the sake of making it feel like a bigger surprise? Well, that's a great question. Uh, and I don't want to tell you what's what. Uh, are these are these clues? Are these red herrings? Certainly, we've put a lot of information out there. And it would be cruel of me at this point, after everything we've done, to tell you uh, what, you know, is a red herring and what is important information for later, but I do think we've shared a lot of information in the course of this story, and really it's been, for me, one of my favorite things uh, on the show. Certainly it's been challenging with Cole getting hurt, but uh, we're all looking forward to having him back. He was on such a great run, and it's one of the things I take the most pride in when we look back at the end of the year, I, because Adam Cole, people, I think, after his head injuries when he came back, you know, I think he had been so hot when he came in 2021 and for better or worse, I don't know if people believed he was ever going to get as hot as he had been. And then in 2023, he defied all the expectations. I think there's a lot of people that really like Adam Cole. And I think there's a lot of people that believe in Adam Cole, but I honestly believe, and I've said this to him and I said it to him in London right after Wembley with tears in his eyes. And I told him that I don't, I take as more pride in this probably than anything I've, we've done all year, that there's people that didn't think he would get 
as hot as he had been in his peak of his career, and I believe in 2023 he's been hotter than he ever was or has been. And for us, certainly, he helped move so much business. And Adam Cole is one of the most important people in AEW, and it was brutal when he got hurt at Grand Slam, completely different than some of his prior injuries and just a total fluke thing. And, you know, we've responded since then trying to put on great shows. I think Wrestle Dream, after he got injured, was a great event. And uh, we've had a lot of great shows since then. And I believe Full Gear will be a great event. And, you know, I really look forward to when Adam Cole can come back healthy to AEW. And I think uh, for having, you know, MJF and Adam Cole as the tag team champions of Ring of Honor, at, at all in we started the show so great we ended the show so great and i believe that mjf and jay white in the main event of full gear is such uh, a great rivalry between somebody who is one of aew's greatest homegrown stars and one of our best new generations of free agents and their rivalry has been against the backdrop of the interference from, for lack of a better word, the devil. And uh, as to the identity of the devil and what's been established along the way, I think it's something to keep an eye on. But we've seen a lot of people get involved along the way. You know, Adam Cole from a distance has maintained his relationship with MJF, and we've seen Roderick, Cole, Roderick Strong and the Kingdom uh, are paying close attention to all of this. And now uh, Samoa Joe is looming large, and Samoa Joe has made it known that he's here to help solve this problem for a price. And then there's Wardlow, who's also looming large, and a lot of interesting uh, things happening and I'm very excited for full gear and I think having MJF versus Jay White and knowing what's happened along the way of course the the devil uh, I have a bone to pick with whoever it is because the acclaimed are great stars for us great draw for the company they move so much merch for us and uh, for whoever the devil is to take out the acclaimed, I have a bone to pick with the devil myself now. And I think it's going to be uh, excellent when MJF and Jay White lock up. And as for all the other people who've become entangled in this situation, uh, Samoa Joe, Wardlow, Adam Cole, Roderick Strong, the Kingdom, potentially others along the way, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And it's created a lot of intrigue in AEW. Thanks for asking. Thank you very much, Paul. Here's a, a write-in guy from Arnava Goshal from Sports Kita, and then Hector Diaz from the Los Angeles Times will follow. Here's the, um, the question, Tony. Full Gear will feature Adam Copeland's first AEW pay-per-view match. What are your thoughts on working with the veteran and his excitement for the upcoming match? I really have enjoyed working with Adam Copeland. He's got a great mind for wrestling and 
it's very fitting that he's teaming with Sting and Darby Allen. And in particular, Sting and Adam Copeland have a lot of similarities. They're both so positive. You know, they walk in and they both are imposing figures, yet they are very kind-hearted. And uh, they could be big, intimidating guys if you didn't know them. And yet when you get to know Adam Copeland, it's, it's similar to what I said about Sting before, where Adam has such a good heart. He's a great family man and has great values. And I think he's a really honest uh, person uh, in all my dealings with him and certainly uh, somebody that has a lot of respect in our locker room and from fans around the world and a huge following. And Adam Copeland, when he came into AEW, I think he was in denial. And he was in denial about who Christian Cage has become. Christian Cage, the patriarch, is a different person in AEW than he had been anywhere else in his career. He's a much darker figure. And the patriarch has taken advantage of misery and has taken advantage of personal tragedies in the lives of AEW wrestlers and in particular his opponents and I think you know for Adam Copeland to come into AEW and get involved with Sting and Darby Allen makes a lot of sense and I'm glad uh, they were able to open his eyes as to what Christian Cage has become and now to see Adam Copeland and Christian Cage standing on opposite sides of the ring from each other in AEW, it's a big deal to me personally, and I think it'll be a big deal to a lot of the fans, and it's very cool that both of them have maintained such a high standard of excellence, and Adam Copeland being in AEW uh, is a big deal for us, and I am very excited for the pay-per-view on Saturday and that match in particular. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Hector Diaz from the Los Angeles Times is next. And if we have time after Hector, we've got one more from Liam Crawley from Comic Book. Hector? How's it going, Tony? Hey, great. Uh, Thank you, Brad. The, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, is there a difference in how you plan multiple cards for this LA market, considering the minority majority, as opposed to like a market that's less Latinx dominated? Well, that's a great question. Uh, well, for the pay-per-view audience, you've got a uh, very uh, the ultimate wide uh, net you're casting and people watching all over the world and in Los Angeles it's a great market for all kinds of fans and it's just a great city I love LA uh, and I think you know as I mentioned earlier it's a got a it's a city with a great history for Lucha Libre and pro wrestling in general and AEW's had a lot of success here. It's been one of our best markets. We debuted in Los Angeles finally at the Forum here in 2022 and had a great first ever event. And we saw the kind of energy the Forum can bring. And every show we've done there so far, two for two, has been great. Now I think we're about to go three for three uh, with a big full gear pay-per-view. Of course, uh, 
we have run Dynamite there last year and this year, and they're two of my personal favorite Dynamite shows. And the crowd brings so much energy, and definitely uh, there's a great Latin fan base in L.A., and Lucha Libre has had a good amount of success there. And, and so we've had some involvement from Luchadors on Dynamite and, of course, on plan for Full Gear, and we'll see more of that tomorrow on Collision and Rampage. I think it would be fair to say, and uh, very excited for that. Of course, we've announced Roosh versus Dax Harwood, which is a great match for tomorrow at the Forum, and a lot more to come for the big three-hour block of live collision and rampage followed by the countdown to full gear. So a big three and a half hour block, something we haven't had before like this on TNT and uh, is a great show of support from our awesome partners at Warner brothers discovery to give us three and a half hours tomorrow night for a Friday night block on TNT. And uh, hopefully we can take advantage of being in this great market. Thanks for asking. Thank you, Hector. So our final question of the day, Tony, comes to us from Liam Crowley from Comic Book. Liam? Hey, Tony. Thanks for taking the time today. Uh, Going to be really annoying with this final question, as I'm sure anyone who's <laughs> on social knows what I'm about to ask. But Adam Copeland, you mentioned him earlier. He's got a big film project coming out very soon. Percy Jackson and the Olympians coming out December 20th. Two days after that, your world champion MJF stars in the Iron Claw the A24 movie. I know neither of those projects are under the Warner Brothers Discovery banner, uh, but do you have any ambitions to do some kind of cross-promotion cross promotion with both of them, considering that these are two of the first times talent from your roster is crossing over into Hollywood? I can't speak to Adam's project, which is really exciting, and I know a lot of people are talking about. Uh, I got on the flight in. I got stopped to talk about it, and I think that's awesome, and, and it's great for AEW. Um, with Max's project, The Iron Claw, yes, I do think there is. Um, a, I do think there's a great opportunity for us to promote The Iron Claw, and I'm optimistic that we can. And it's very cool that we'll also be going to Dallas along the way, which is pretty neat and uh, means a lot to me. And that is something we do every December, and great timing with the release of the Iron Claw. Thank you, Liam. Tony, any uh, parting thoughts? Any yes, thanks, Jim. Yes, uh, I will give my uh, Rod Serling at the end of the Twilight Zone soliloquy now. Uh, this is, is going to be a great weekend, uh, and all of you, I really appreciate uh, you participating in this. I'm sorry if there's anybody that we didn't get a chance to speak with. Hopefully some of you will be coming to the live pay-per-view. And um, if you're on the West Coast, uh, hopefully I'll see you at the forum and look forward to having you all at the event. And I'll try and stay and answer as many questions as I can. And uh, it'll be uh, as much as I can do before I get on the red-eye flight back to Jacksonville for the Jags game. Uh, and uh, we're going to make a count this time in Los Angeles. I think it's going to be a really special full gear weekend. I really appreciate all of you. I don't think it would be possible for AEW to exist or to have sustained this kind of success 
for years now without all of you and the great coverage each of you provide and each time I talk to all of you uh, I really appreciate your contributions it's great to hear so many of your voices and if you're not joining us in person at the forum for full gear on Saturday this weekend hopefully see some of you who are on the East Coast at World's End at the end of the year if you're available around the holidays in December 30th and again I just wanted to how grateful and thankful I am to all of you and hopefully you'll all be able to check out AEW Full Gear on Saturday and I hope you all have a great weekend. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tony, and thank you uh, to everyone. We are now at the end of our time. Uh, as we always do, we'll be distributing an audio recording to all attendees shortly. Until then, on behalf of Tony Khan and everyone at AEW, please know we do look forward to seeing you at AEW Collision and AEW Rampage tomorrow night and for full gear on Saturday night. And if you can't make it, we know you'll be watching, and we do appreciate it, as Tony just mentioned. To everyone, best wishes for a wonderful Thanksgiving next week and a spectacular, spectacular holiday week uh, or month ahead. And we'll see you this weekend. Thank you. The following podcast has been paid for by Perched on the Top Rope. boys from Sandy Ford, Delaware, baby. Perched on the Top Rope podcast. You better listen to it or I'm going to be on the perched on the Top Rope and I'm going to drop this froggy bow on your head. Welcome everyone to the number two podcast in America, ladies and gentlemen, on Chartable's Top 250. I am your host, former dirt sheet writer from Ringside News, Sports Kita, Daily DDT. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Lee Walker and I am joined by co-host Alex Todd, who you know as the adorable one. So, ladies and gentlemen, before we begin, I brought up Chartable. Perched on the top rope is currently second in America in wrestling, 83 in America in the sports category. But not only that, we are 149 in Australia, 64 in Saudi Arabia, 72 in South Africa, 69 in the Philippines, giggity. Number six in Algeria in the sports category, and number two in Algeria in wrestling. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for getting us to where we are today. It's been a very long five years, but a very rewarding five years. Alex, are you ready to do this show? I'm ready to do this, but before we go ahead with that, we're gonna do. I'm, I'm gonna do a little, you know, like two minute interview on you because I just want to get your thoughts, man. How how does it feel? Aside from the sports category, how does it feel being the number two wrestling podcast in America? Like, let's get your raw emotions, your raw thoughts on it. So, I was extremely hyped when I saw that I had charted 19 in America the other day, breaking the top 20, because I'd never done that before. I had ranked uh, highest 70 in America. You know, other countries like Indonesia, I have been number one in. Uh, but other countries like Ireland, Germany, Great Britain, Canada, uh, I've been in those chartables also, uh, along with the aside from the ones I had just listed. But it's extremely hard to get here because 
I there's so many messages I send out, so much social media work that goes into it. Uh, so when I actually saw that I ranked 19th, I was like, this is as good as it gets. Like, drink it up, dude, because this is as high as you're going to go. And you got to think, like, there's podcasts out there. You're competing with celebrities. Basically, yeah. You know, you look at the top five, it's Jim Cornette, myself, Jim Cornette again, Eric Bischoff, and Bruce Pritchard. Right. The top 50 is literally all WWE Hall of Famers, current wrestlers, current WWE podcasts. And the fact that fans out here want to listen to me, I'm very humbled and grateful for that. Yeah, it's it's wild that you're literally in the company of men who have ran promotions. You're, Eric Bischoff ran WCW. Pritchard, Cornette have both had their spots in TNA, WWE, etc. That's yeah. that's just wild, man. And I'm I'm very happy for you. Um, I know it, it was a lot of. A lot of hard work from, you know, our, our friends that have helped share the show over the years, too. Some of the people we've been on the show with, you know, thank you to everybody. But just most importantly, thank you to you and all the hard work you've put in. Yeah, thank you. So then, like, um, I saw that I had dropped in America, and then I saw it went back up. And I went up to, like, a higher spot. And then I saw I was, like, sixth or seventh. And I was like what is going on holy crap like freak literally just freaking out yep, like so a then school girl the so, group chat blew up ladies and gentlemen so then after that i um before i went to bed i had done uh episode 170 fans uh november 13th 2005 eddie guerrero had passed away so i did a tribute show that day uh to Once eddie so, if you're an Eddie Guerrero fan, you can go back and listen to episode 170, Apple Podcast, Perched on the Top Rope. Um, I had just gotten done with the episode, loaded it up, and right before I went to bed, I refreshed on Chartable and saw that I was number two in America. I instantly, like, freaked out and just started calling people. I called you, I called my girlfriend, uh, posted on social media... So I, I, it's something I, I never expected. It was, it's always been a dream come true to be number one in America. So fans, listen to this episode. Listen to other episodes. Tell help, your friends. Tell your friends. Help me reach my goal in becoming the number one podcast for professional wrestling in America. Please. We bet. Yeah, otherwise, um, it's been a really cool feeling. I'm in awe. Like I've had a lot of people like Dave LaGreca from Busted Open congratulate me on Facebook. I've had others like Mark Madison, uh, Brian Clark, you know, guys like that, you know, who are in the industry. Aaron Rift, who uh, created WWFWCW.com 25 years ago, which is now NoDQ.com. You know, guys like that, you know, really, you know, a lot of people from the dirt sheets and stuff congratulating me and everything. And, you know, those are like old colleagues to me. You know what I mean? Because I'm yeah. a former dirt sheet writer. So right. uh, it's just been a really cool experience and just really, really cool to see. Um, so unless you have any other questions, Al, we have some AEW full gear predictions and some other things to talk about. Hell yeah, let's do it. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen... AEW Full Gear is this Saturday, November 18th. You can catch it live on Fight TV. 
Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, well, isn't AEW Collision on Saturday at 8 o'clock? You're right, fans. It is. But it has a special time this week and day. Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, going head-to-head with WWE SmackDown. I had a feeling this was going to happen eventually because WWE and AEW kind of had this history over the past couple of years of occasionally switching up the days they do their pay-per-views on. Um, you know, sometimes WWE mostly shockingly sticks to Saturdays now as opposed to the traditional Sunday in the past. But AEW has kind of gone back and forth. Sometimes they do their show on a Sunday. Sometimes they do it on a Saturday. And after Collision started, I was like, mm, they're going to run into an issue at some point. There's going to be a scheduling issue with whatever WWE might have going on or with their own show. So it, it's, it's cool that they, you know, didn't struggle to figure out what they were going to do here. <laughs> yeah. So... Friday, they'll go head-to-head with SmackDown, but there's going to be a lot of wrestling because after SmackDown, you still have AEW Rampage at 10 o'clock following. So, Friday, you're going to get a lot of wrestling, folks, before AEW Full Gear, so uh, be ready for that. Be ready for a good Friday night. Now, as far as AEW Full Gear, there are nine matches total, one being on the pre-show, and the pre-show is MJF and a tag team partner to be announced, taking on Colton and Austin Gunn, the Guns, for the AE or wow, not AEW. Wow, I'm sorry. I'm used to saying that because he is the AEW champion. Yeah, it's for the ROH World Tag Team Championships. Now, Al, I'm gonna break down basically what had happened. Okay. Um, on September 27th. The episode of Dynamite, Jay White had interrupted MJF. White had claimed that he was ultimately responsible for MJF and Adam Cole's friendship and subsequently teaming, you know, better than you, Bebe. Uh, as Cole had gotten injured in their match at the 2022 Forbidden, Cole, Cole, bleh, Forbidden Door, Cole becoming involved with MJF after returning the following year. White then claimed that he would take the AEW championship from MJF the following week on Dynamite. White, along with his Bullet Club Gold stablemates, Juice Robinson and the Guns, attacked MJF. And did exactly what he said he was going to. He stole the AEW championship. But then he also challenged him, MJF, for the title at Full Gear. Now, MJF accepted. Of course, he's hot because his title's been stolen from him. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the episode, uh, October 24th, the gun stated that they wanted a match against MJF for the ROH Tag Team Championships. They wanted it at full gear, of course, and MJF accepted. Now, October 30th, it was announced that it's going to be MJF and a mystery partner to defend those titles at full gear, zero hour, on the pre-show, since MJF's championship partner suffered a broken foot in late September. We haven't seen Adam Cole, so we are going to get MJF and a mystery partner, and we watched him struggle to find... Not just one tag team partner recently, but three for an eight-man tag match. Uh, which he, you know, ended up choosing the acclaimed for that. And not much of a choice. Everyone else, you know, subsequently didn't want a team with him. 
But nonetheless, he was able to find those three, even though they had been chasing him down the whole night that night on AEW Dynamite. Yeah, and even before this storyline made it to TV, Max Caster has been being like a weird stalker girlfriend to MJF on social media for years now, so I love that that angle finally made it onto TV. Yeah, and the fact that uh, they have history together from yep. uh, Create a Pro. Yep, they came is, up together. Yeah, which is uh, really, really cool. Now, I gotta ask, Al, who do you think is going to be MJF's mystery partner for this match? Okay, so... In my opinion, it is going to be one of three people. It is going to be either... No, one of four people. It's going to be either a returning Adam Cole, because there's been a lot of speculation that this foot injury has been worked into the storyline, and that the x-ray that was put on social media could have easily just been not his foot, and it could have been photoshopped. Um, But we'll get into that a little later on. That's the least likely for me. Um, other possibility, Max Caster steps in, even though he's already part of the trio's champions. It's just been his thing where he's been trying to defend MJF lately, so I could see that too. Um, two names, though, for my remaining two guesses that have actually been pretty hot on the internet to be possible uh, tag team partners for MJF lately are none other than the man you formerly interviewed, uh, Richard Holiday, is one guest that's been all over the internet, which... I feel like his gimmick with MJFs would pair up very nicely. The other big rumor is that it could be former MLW champion Alexander Hammerstone. So I'm leaning more towards one of the two of them. Um, Preferably, I think just with the type of character, I'm going to go out uh, with the Dark Horse. I'm going to say it's Richard Holiday. I find that interesting. Has Alexander Hamels, Hammerstone been released from MLW yet? From... I'll, I'll have to double check on that. I'll fact check that real quick. Because but... his contract, last I knew, was up on 2025. Now, Richard Holiday would also be a surprise to me, especially after the fact that he is no longer dating Alicia Atut and MJF is dating his right. now ex-girlfriend. So I'd be curious to see if that played any sort of rift in the friendship or anything like that. And Tony Khan, I, I, I think this would, you know, it, it is full gear, but it's also the pre-show. So I don't fully expect it to be like a big name. I would, I would be more than likely to believe it could be Adam Cole. If it's a, not a real foot injury. Um, Honestly, I really would not know who it would be besides a returning Adam Cole uh, to shock the world. So the reason I had him so low on my list, though, is because I feel like they're not going to want to save his return for a pre-show. Yeah. Um, Well, it would make sense storyline-wise. I did just fact-check, by the way. Alex Hammerstone, I believe, is still under contract, but it also isn't unlike AEW, to work stuff out with other companies. Um, I had only brought that up because that was, uh, that was those two names were circling the internet a lot the past couple days. Yeah, I remember Hammerstone, though, because I, I remember specifically um, MLW did allow the release of Lance Anawahi and his tag team partner, uh, but they didn't, they, it wasn't, 
said by MLW, but it was basically known that they were not going to grant him uh, his release. Now, I would still have hopes for Holiday, but I don't know if there's any sort of personal issue there with uh, MJF and Alicia, you know? Yeah. I think that'd be a great pairing of characters, though, for sure. Well, I mean, they, they were together with literally Hammerstone in MLW. Mm-hmm. Uh, MJF, Holiday, and Hammerstone as, as a group. Right. Um, the other Dark Horse we're not thinking of, too, is the possibility of it being Samoa Joe. Because they've had that whole thing on TV where Joe's been like, I'll protect you, I'll be your partner, but I want a world title match. But also, if you don't pick me, I'm still coming after you for a world title match. So yeah. maybe MJF is desperate enough to where he does pick Joe and does give him that world title match knowing that it's incoming no matter what. And Samoa Joe did drop the ROH uh, television title, uh-huh. basically stating he's gunning for the world championship. So Maybe it's better to have that man for a tag team partner to hold on to at least one title if you know he's going to come after the other one. Yeah. I mean, after all, there is that old saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Right. So, you know, he could be going, you know. Team of Samoa Joe, I, I could see that too. So there is quite a few possibilities here. Um, however, as far as the match goes, I, I don't think MJF loses whoever he's teaming with. The man is way too hot right now as far as this goes. I think the only way he loses if he is if he doesn't end up having a partner at all and has to go one-on-two. But then if he does lose, I feel like that almost solidifies what happens in the main event. Yeah. Not that that's my prediction or anything. That's just kind of like my thought process if that's what they went with. Like, if you're losing one title, you're most likely not losing the other one. Yeah. But that's just like a if they don't come up with a tag team partner type situation. Yeah. And I mean, he's done this before where he's defended both and won both. So yeah. uh, our next match is the AEW Women's Championship. Hikira Shida, the champion, taking on timeless Tony Storm with Luther. Now, this change in character with Tony Storm was quite a shocker to me. I always loved uh, her look, the way she came out with the glasses, the hat. Punk rocker look. Yeah. yeah. But we see enough of that already in AEW and, like, every other company because it's very hard, I think, for women to have gimmicks work. So you see a lot of the prissy type, bitchy type, uh, punk rock type. And then there's people like Van Alla in WWE who is just Viking. Like Max the Impaler in NWA. Yep. (laughs) So... This has been interesting with Tony Storm for me. I've actually really enjoyed the weekly silent films. Uh, her whole... She's given herself like this, like, it, while it's silent in black and white films, she's given herself this whole um, Marilyn Monroe-esque type makeover. With, mm-hmm. And it's different and it's working for me. Because, like we we just said, everyone kind of has like the same thing going on in in the women's division. Even though the women's division, 
uh, was lacking a bit in AEW. It's been picked up a little bit. Uh, as far as who the champion is, though, Hikirishita, I'm not quite sure she's really a drawing power for the company. Uh, however, Alex, she has and is the first third-time women's champion in the company's history. Well, I know it's only a four-year-old company. She still has that. She can still say she made history there. Yeah, and the and the big thing about this match too is that coming out of this, if Tony Storm does manage to pick up the victory and does manage to become the AEW Women's World Champion, she will tie Hikaru Shida for that right to being a three-time Women's World Champion because uh, if you remember a couple of years back, she was interim Women's World Champion. Um, after Thunder Rosa was not able to make a return, they made an official statement that they counted her interim championship reign as an official AEW Women's World Championship reign. So if she wins this match, she ties Hikaru Shida for the record. So there's some big stakes in this match. Yeah, absolutely. And who do you think wins? Mm, who do I think versus who do I want? I'm going to go with who do I want. I love the Timeless Tony Stone character right now. Um, it kind of gives me the same vibes that Matt Hardy went through when he was doing the broken Matt Hardy thing. Like it started as like a mental breakdown and then led to this thing that's like picking up a lot of steam. And any reason to get RJ City on AW TV, I will always love because I... I used to watch him wrestle. So seeing him on AEW TV with her is pretty cool, too. I'm going to go with my girl. Timeless Tony Storm becomes the second time, three-time AEW Women's World Champion. All right. So you're claiming we're going to have a second, third-time champion. Second, third. I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to stay with Ann Still. Okay. I'm going to say Akira Shida. Um, there's not much, personally, for me here, uh, but... I, I just, I think there's something in line why Hikira Shida's the champion right now. And I think right now is not the time for her to drop the belt. Going against your girl, Tony Storm. Going I against, never thought I'd hear that. I know, I know. I'm disappointed. I'd rather you be disappointed than mad, I guess. Mm. I don't know. No, I thought that was worse. I yeah. thought people hate when you're disappointed. Well, well, whatever. I'm fine with it, I guess. Okay. You can be disappointed, just don't be mad at me. How's that? Okay. <laughs> just can't be both. One or the other. Yeah, it's got to be one or the other. Uh, the next match is the six-man tag match, which is Sting, Darby Allen, and Adam Copeland with Ric Flair taking on Christian Cage, Luchasaurus, and Nick Wayne. Now, this dates back to... Wrestle Dream, Alex, when Christian Cage defeated Darby Allen to retain the AEW TNT Championship, which also saw Nick Wayne turn on Darby Allen and join with Christian Christian Cage. And his you know Nick's mom was making a whole big deal about it, and they actually like brought Nick Wayne's mom in for an interview uh, with Nick, and it was. <sighs> I like Nick Wayne's mom more than I like Nick Wayne. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it's like, I want to change the words to Stacy's mom. Nick Wayne's mom has got it going on. She's all I want, and I've waited for so long. Yeah, Nick, can't you see? You're not the friend for me. I know it might be wrong, but I'm in love with Nick Wayne's mom. Yeah, so, uh... 
Cajun Wayne would later attack Darby Allen uh, further until Sting came out to make the save. But Luchasaurus also got involved in the attack on Sting and Allen. As Cage was about to perform the concerto on Sting, Adam Copeland, the rated R superstar, formerly known as Edge in WWE, made his AEW debut to save Sting and Allen. On the following Dynamite, Copeland tried to bring Cage to his senses and reunite as a team, but Cage refused. Uh, what were the exact words that Cage used before he walked out of the ring, Al? Oh, he said, go fuck yourself. And the FCC won't let me be. All right. So, on October 24th, on AEW Dynamite, Christian Cage, Luchasaurus, and Nick Wayne interrupted Sting and challenged him, Allen, and a partner of their choosing to a six-man tag team match. Uh, this was also the... I guess, debut of Ric Flair. Ric Flair came out and told Sting, I want to be there for the last ride with you, and yada yada, so on and so forth. So if we see Ric Flair wrestle, I'm just going to say this, fans, go back and watch his so-called retirement match that he had and tell me if you think he should go into the ring. Listen, at this point, out of the four members of Evolution, Ric Flair's had the most recent match, so he's got less ring rust than the other three combined. Give him a break. Well, in all fairness, Triple H can't wrestle. Yeah, he almost died. So, there's so there's, there's that. Glad you're doing well, Hunter. <laughs> so, they, they challenged them to a match. Uh, Sting accepted. Later, dur- during a backstage interview, Adam Copeland said he refused to fight Christian Cage. But then Sting and Allen appeared and told him that Cage could not be trusted the following week. After Cage, Luchasaurus, and Wayne attacked Copeland, he was saved by Sting and Allen. Copeland then stated he would be there to partner at Full Gear. So, there's a lot. This dates back a while. The, the feud with Christian Cage and Darby Allen and the Hot Potato Championship. Oh, yes. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, the TNT Championship is known as the Hot Potato Championship around here, if you haven't listened in before when we talk about AEW. The TNT Championship has changed hands more than the WWF Hardcore title when it had a 24-7 run. Changed more hands than the 24-7 Championship in WWE. This belt has changed hands so many times, there's already five or six different variations of the belt because the first five or six people made their own custom belt out of it and brought it to TV. So, yeah, there we are with that. A little overdramatic, but... Um, I, I will say they haven't been doing as much of the hot potato with the championship lately in the past few months as they were at like the end of last year, beginning of this year. Christian Cage getting involved in the division has definitely helped, I think, um, it's kind of given them a main person that's not just Darby Allen to center around. Because when this title first came around, they had like this group of guys that they primarily kept in this division for a while. It was like your Cody Rhodes, your Mr. Brody Lee before his untimely passing. Um, Darby Allen. Miro had his own. Miro and Sammy Guevara. Yeah. Uh, but then they were just giving it away to people. And it, at first, it almost looked like they were going to use the title like, WWE used to use the Intercontinental Championship, or is starting to again, where it was like the um, the title before the title. And then something happened around 
Wardlow's first title reign, and then it just went back and forth between everyone. So they're kind of starting to change that a little bit, and I think Christian Cage being involved has, has definitely helped. Yeah, especially because he's a heel character, so like heels don't, I feel like, don't defend their championships nearly as much as, as a, a face character. Heels yeah. hold titles longer, for sure. Yeah, 100%. I look at Roman Reigns in WWE right Or Gunther. Now. Yeah, yeah, that's all you need to say right there, just those two names. MJF was healed for most of this AEW world title run until yeah. recently, so, you know. Um, I just don't understand the need for Ric Flair not trying to stir anything up. It's just like, it, it's, it's a Ric Flair move. Like, once you think he's finally settling down and out of the spotlight, there he is! Uh, and, you know, I, I love Ric, but... Um, I, for his own health, not even from a booking standpoint, for his own health, I really hope this doesn't result in him wrestling because I think at his age and the health problems he's had, I think he should look at his health and look at his family and just kind of be more in a managerial role like he is in this match. But I, I just, I, knowing how Rick is, I have a feeling that's not going to be the case. Well, and supposedly he's medically cleared and it is expected he's going to take bumps man's like 80 years old he's not 80 but he's got to be getting close he's in his 70s he's in his 70s let's let, you know let's not round up on people he has now. a pacemaker it's a, we don't have to round up this isn't change he has a pacemaker in his heart triple h has a pacemaker in his heart and he had to retire hey, but this, this how is rick medically cleared with a pacemaker in his chest this isn't um you know, this isn't McDonald's where you round up the change for the McDonald house fund. I just, All right? I don't. I don't. I, uh, anyways, back to the match. All right. Well, with that being said, Al, who wins? This one, I'm... Because this, this rivalry is clearly not over. It's not going to be over until we get Adam Copeland versus Christian Cage one-on-one. -on -one, uh, Darby Allen versus Nick Wayne one-on-one. -on -one. Um... I'm gonna have I'm gonna I'm gonna take the heels in the match. I'm gonna take Christian Cage, Bruchosaurus, and Nick Wayne to pick up the win to further the storyline, which eventually leads us to Adam Copeland versus Christian Cage, which I'm gonna go ahead and make a guess and say that they might draw this heat out with the two of them until double or nothing. Either that or revolution. This isn't over between all six of them, in my honest opinion. And I'm going with Sting, Darby, Allen, and Adam Copeland because there's no way they're bringing in Adam and having him lose this early. I I see Nick Wayne being the one taking the pinfall. I mean, and the only reason, the other reason why I say I don't see that happening because one of Adam Copeland, so early in his career in AEW, they don't want to have him like already get a, an L. Uh, I think with this being Sting's final run and the fact that we know he's retiring in 2024... I think they're going to have him have just a spectacular run. I don't see really him losing. So I ha I, I'm i going with Sting, Darby, and Adam. But I do think that no matter like the loss for the heels, I feel the storyline will still continue because there's so much history between Copeland and Cage. And there's already enough history between Darby Allen and Cage. So So you think it's more of a situation where the the baby faces pick up the victory and then the heels do something to get their heat back and 
leads to something further down the road. Yeah. So we kind of have a same ending, different result of this match, though. Yeah, like, I don't see anyone interfering in this match, maybe except for Ric Flair. I don't see... Um, I don't see the, the heels, if they lose, interfering with the group afterwards. I think it's more like they're going to roll out of the ring, take their ball and go home. And then on Dynamite is where you see everything pick back up again. Okay, I can respect that. Now, the next match had a little controversy to it a while back. Not so much these two particular with each other, but it is the AEW International Championship, Orange Cassidy the champion, taking on John Moxley. And I say that there's some controversy here because John Moxley had taken on Ray Phoenix. And Ray Phoenix hit his finisher, but when um, you watch him sit out with the pile driver, it was very much like a Owen Hart, Stone Cold Steve Austin uh thing but you see moxley's head literally bounce off the mat and like his neck like just disappears for a second ray phoenix goes for the pin the referee only does a two count and then i mean moxley his shoulders don't even move you actually can see on camera his eyes look up and he says something to the ref so ray phoenix ray phoenix hits the move again but it looks like his head hits again Mm -hmm. and then the ref goes one two three new international uh, champion Ray Phoenix, but Ray Phoenix was not was clearly not supposed to win that match, so they had him hold it and basically have him be a placeholder, if you will, and he lost it a week or two later to Orange Cassidy. So Orange Cassidy is the international champion again. He's also the longest reigning international champion in his first run. Yep. So Moxie comes back. Moxie wants his AEW International Championship, which brings us to this match. And all I have to say about this is, I'm just going to say it right now, Alex. John Moxley and new AEW International Champion. And I'm going with that because there was clearly a storyline with John Moxley in the international championship that AEW wants to run because if they didn't they wouldn't put him back in they wouldn't put him back in this title match or title reign or whatever. Yeah, I I fully agree. Um this whole storyline has gotten kind of messed up by Moxley's injury. <clears throat> there was a clear audible that was supposed to be called in that match from what's been told already to where after he got injured the first time the referee was supposed to call for the three count. And then Moxley got pissed off at him. There's a little bit of heat with the ref, according to backstage sources. Um, Yeah, I just thought it was really weird. I, at first, that they didn't just keep the title on Ray Phoenix and then have him lose back to Moxley. But I think this makes a little more sense because there was already that pre-existing feud with Orange Cassidy and John Moxley heading into, uh, what was it, All Out or All In? One of the two. I don't remember which pay-per-view they had the original match. But I think this makes more sense for key purposes to get it back on John Moxley, even though the BCC is kind of like a tweener role right now. Um, but it makes more sense for him to go back to a rival that he just very recently had bad blood with to regain the title, because now it'll show that he unmercifully beat Orange Cassidy twice 
Orange Cassidy is known as probably the workhorse of AEW at this point. So I think that'll be good for them. I It'll be interesting to see where they go with this because it also, even though they're the AEW Tag Team Champions, it looks like they're slowly building up to Ricky Starks versus John Moxley. So I think a lot of that depends on how this pay-per-view goes, who is champion uh, in whatever matches but with the tag titles and the international championship. But for this one, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to say John Moxley wins the title back. We bring up Ricky Starks, and uh, fans, if you go to YouTube.com at Perched on the Top Rope or Apple Podcast Episode 159, you can listen to Lance... Archer, that's right, we had AEW's The Murder Hawk Monster, Lance Archer, on Perched on the Top Rope, and uh, he praised Ricky Starks huge, especially for winning the Owen Hart Cup. Mm-hmm. So I do expect a singles run, in a, again, out of Starks here pretty soon. Well, they're definitely going in that direction, too, because before the whole firing of CM Punk, it was very clear that we were heading into a big program with Punk and Starks, and then they moved that over to being with Brian Danielson. So they they clearly have plans for Ricky Starks right now. They just gotta, with everything that's gotten moved around between Punk being fired and Danielson being injured, they've just gotta move the right pieces into play. Yeah, yeah. And we're gonna be talking about Ricky Starks in a few minutes because he has a match on this card. But first, let's get to the Texas death match between Adam Hangman Page and Swerve Strickland with Prince Nana. What's my name? Prince Nana. What's my name? Say what's my name. All right. Um, This honestly has been some of Paige's best promo work. And you know I've been very vocal in the past about the lackluster promos of Hangman Page. Especially when he was AEW champion. Because... Mm -hmm. Everyone wanted him to become the AEW champion, and then when he won it, it was like no one gave a shit. Even the company felt like it. It felt like the company didn't even care. It's unfortunately considered the most lackluster AEW world title reign, but behind CM Punk's, in most opinion, only because his literally lasted a couple hours because he got injured. Yeah, both his lasted all of a day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, one was a day, and the other one was like. A couple days until the following dynamite when he hurt his ankle. Yeah. Yeah. So aside from those two, um, a lot of people consider Hangman Adam Page's world title run a little lackluster, kind of because of management hiding him and not keeping him on the shows frequently and his promo work. But like what you said, this program, I never thought that, and this is nothing against either performer, I never thought that these two would be, I never thought I needed this program as much as I do. They are highlighting the very best of both Hangman Adam Page and Swerve Strickland in this in this program, and I firmly believe whoever comes out on top of this should be eventually in line for an AEW world title match or run. Yeah, and, and so far, uh, we're on the fifth match, really the fourth for the actual pay-per-view itself. But if I had to pick so far, the best promo work has been with these two mm-hmm. uh, swerve you know I'm, I'm using quotations here folks breaking in to hangman's house being in front of the crib i uh, you remember i'm sitting there in the group chat because i'm thinking to myself where's his wife is the baby in bed is she in bed is there a baby in the crib how did someone just break in that easy don't you have a ring camera bro 
all these things are playing through my head, right? And, I mean, I know it's a staged house and everything like that. You know, these are the little differences, though, between AEW and WWE. I mean, not even WWE, WWF. Stone Cold and Pillman. Pillman's in the house with his wife. They made it look like, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly certain, though, they actually used his house. But, like, he was there. You know, look at uh, Randy Orton and Triple H. That one was a more obvious staged compared to the Austin and Pillman thing. But still, both had felt more real than than, than Swerves. You know, sw- I'm glad you changed it to WWF and not WWE, not accounting for the Randy Orton Triple H thing, because they also did that thing with Seth Rollins and Edge a few years ago, where Edge did the same thing as Strickland. He simply just waltzed into Edge's house and was just apparently setting up a camera and just sitting there, basically taking an interview for himself right in the middle of Edge's house. Yeah. So like, I was sitting there and I was just like, I was watching it, and the whole time though, I'm like, where's the wife? Is the baby in the crib? Like, you don't hear any crying or anything, so, like, you assume no. You, you just assume no one was home. But I think it would have gave it more realism if someone was, like, if his wife was there. And, you know, even if they had just audio of, like, a baby crying or something in the crib, you know what I mean? It would have It would have gave me more realism, like, if the baby cries... And his wife turns or you know comes into the room to check on the baby, and Swerve is standing there, and Nana standing there, and like that's when Adam runs out of the ring in a panic, right? Right. Because now it like he could think, oh, no one's home, but then you know he hears the baby cry, and his wife is right there, and he just bugs right out, you know. Right. But it is what it is. It was still a great segment. I'm just being a picky fan of over thirty years nitpicking everything because that's what we do apparently. So. Well, to go off of that, though, the, the Hangman had a page promo on AEW Dynamite this week was probably his best promo work that I've ever seen. The only time I've ever seen him come close was when he basically shot on CM Punk in the middle of the ring before Double or Nothing. But he literally was just talking about, he was taking shots at Swerve about him getting fired from WWE when he got released. He was taking shots at his wife not wanting to see him, his kids not wanting to see him. And that's the type of stuff people bought into when they did that feud in WWE between Riddle and Seth Rollins where real life shit was getting brought up. And Hangman Adam Page is not typically that type of person that does that in a promo, but like this program with Swerve has really lit a fire under both their asses and, in my opinion, has been continually the most entertaining thing on AEW television that is not MJF. Yeah, that's why I said it's definitely the best promo stuff I've been watching. I'm very happy with it, to be honest with you. Me too. Um, However, for this match, because of how Swerve went about it and the way that like I feel like the promos and everything, and especially the breaking into Hangman's house, I feel like I'm leaning towards Hangman winning the match. I would honestly love to see Swerve win the match uh, because he's part of a faction. You know, where, where Hangman kind of is, but kind of isn't when it comes to the Bucks and Kenny Omega, who we're about to talk about. The elite is always minutes. a dysfunctional family. They're yeah. they're always on and off. Yeah, they're like that family you watch go on Springer more than once type deal. Yeah, yeah. 
So I'm going with Hangman Adam Page to win this. I'm I'm torn on this one because they could both use the victory here. Um, it just depends on how the company sets up the loser going forward afterwards because Hangman also has lost a couple of big matches in the past year or two. Uh, it, it kind of seems like this the beginning of this feud was a redemption story for Hangman because Swerve, when this whole thing started, called out a Hangman Adam Page saying about how, you know, the company hasn't invested in any new gear for him, he hasn't been winning a ton of matches, he hasn't been winning titles, and that he had basically gone stagnant, and that is why Swerve wanted to take him out, is because he wanted that spot. He wanted to be able to show that he, with the right machine behind him, could become the first black AEW world champion, which would be cool for him to make history in that sense. So it's like on this side, you've got Swerve who could literally make history in AEW. And then you've got this awesome organic redemption story for Hangman Adam Page too. But my problem with the Hangman Adam Page redemption story is it's already been done. They did that when they built up to him winning the AEW World Championship. And so it's almost like kind of a retread of a similar storyline and I think that storyline was kind of what left the fans stagnant the last time. I personally would like to see Hangman continue getting a little more of this dark edge and then eventually maybe turning to the bad side of things. Maybe playing a heel character. He he was good at it when he was in Bullet Club in New Japan, and he barely had to talk at that point. Now that he can talk, I think he would make an excellent heel. I personally... I'm going to go with Swerve Strickland to win this one. Okay. We've been quite different on this whole pay-per-view tonight. I yeah. like it. And I think Swerve versus MJF would be a solid program for the world title. That'd be a good match. Yeah. It'd be a good match. I mean, Hangman always puts on a good match. It's just, you know, that, that one, the title reign they gave him, it was just so lackluster. I actually think it hurt his career a lot. Yeah. I, I think I'll be happy no matter who wins this match. I just want them to set up whoever loses it the right way going forward because they could both use the win obviously they're not both gonna get it so just make sure you have a plan for whoever's not winning this match yeah it's gonna be a good match though texas death match i feel like that's that's a type of match that hangman could put on a solid performance yeah i agree and our next match has an odd stipulation to it it's a tag team match it's the Golden Jets, Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho, taking on the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson. Funny story, I've interviewed three out of the four men in this match. Uh, if the Golden Jets win, they will get the Young Bucks AEW Tag Team Championship opportunity as they are the number one contender for the AEW Tag Team Championships. But if the Young Bucks win, the Golden Jets must disband as a team now nick and matt had an issue with jericho being you know teaming with omega because you know every faction he's been part of he is literally disbanded in the four years of him being in AEW because uh the leader starts demanding too much the narcissistic comes out of chris jericho and we're seeing a different side of jericho right now teaming with kenny omega here as the golden jets uh, I do have to say though, uh, I uh, I don't want to. I'm 
I'm going to hold off on what I was about to say because we're talking about it in a little bit. Okay. But there is somebody who I think Kenny Omega will end up teaming with that had a different golden name, if you will. Yeah, I um, I think another thing that we're not even thinking about, too, the other reason, and they mentioned this in their first initial issue with Jericho and Omega, too, is that every group that Jericho has been a part of has also, at one point in time, targeted the elite. Or targeted members of the elite. Yes. When they weren't, maybe when they weren't together. The inner circle and the elite had an extraordinary feud at one point. Uh, Matt Hardy even got brought into it during the pandemic era. And then I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, the JS had targeted certain members at times when the Elite wasn't together, but different members of the group as well. And at one point during the Inner Circle feud, they Chris Jericho also attacked Matt and Nick Jackson's father in a backstage segment, which they had mentioned when they brought up the issue with Kenny and Chris teaming together. I mean, it's it's known Chris Jericho said it himself. If we're talking about on screen wise, he's he's not a good person. He's done some shitty things, but it's more of an enemy of my enemy is my friend, which we brought up earlier talking about Samoa Joe. Same thing applies here. Chris Jericho had, uh, you know, him and Kenny Omega had issues with Don Callis and Kanosuke Takashita, so they were just kind of trying to take care of that. And the Bucks, being the Bucks, got petty and didn't like it. I'm going to throw my opinion out here right now. Golden Jets are going to win. And I say that because it's very clear that it looks like the Young Bucks are on the verge of yet another heel turn. They are the big show of AEW. They've gone back and forth between heel and face turns more than I can count in the four years that they've been together. I think we're going to see the Golden Jets win, and I think you're going to see the Young Bucks absolutely lose their mind and beat the living hell out of both of them after the match is over. And... Then you'll see Kenny and Chris go on to face Big Bill and Ricky Starks for the AEW Tag Team Championships. Well, we don't know that yet, but we do know that the Young Bucks are currently the number one contenders. And while I want to say that the Golden Jets do win, because I feel like they're going to be in line for tag team title shots, I am going to say the Young Bucks win this match and we see the disbanding of the golden jets which i know doesn't make sense because it's a a a team that they just put together you know uh i'm also going against you just because just to go against you because i really do see the golden jets winning sadly but i'm going to say the young bucks win um because after this i really don't know what they have in store for kenny omega and Chris Jericho, where at least the Young Bucks, we know, can just end up back in a, a feuding with another tag team or something. You know what I mean? Right. Like, we know that can happen. That's, like, not the end of the world. Uh, we also know that they have a, a little issue as they were removed as EVPs on the website. Yeah, there's a little bit of controversy there because nobody knows really what's going on. They've been removed of the name on the website only. There's nothing official saying Anywhere else that they've been removed from their position. But they also posted, it was on Instagram, I believe, the other day, that they were, in fact, still EVP. So it could have just been something related to the website. It could have been more. Nobody really knows at this point. A website could have been updated, and it just didn't get added back in. Who knows? Yeah. But it was something to note. 
so you're going with the Golden Jets. I'm going with the Young Bucks. That brings us to the AEW TBS Championship as champion Chris Statlander is facing Julia Hart and Sky Blue in a three-way match. And I don't know how well this is going to go for Chris Statlander because uh, we did see Julia Knight hit the mist or whatever, the spray, in the eyes to Sky Blue. And she's not the only one she's hit. Uh, however, Sky Blue seems to be a little resistant to it. We see her doing the makeup with like it look under the eyes where it looks like, you know, it's like, you know, dripping down type deal with, with her, her blue and the black that she'd been doing. It's like progressional uh, kind of like Malachi Black's eye yeah. over the years. And also like how Julia Hart had done her makeup when she had been you know, mistakenly sprayed, right? Missed on. Yeah. So there's, um, you know, there, this could be potentially a two-on-one match where Sky helps Julia Hart become the champion. But I don't know what the end game here is for the both of them. Uh, we have seen where Julia has seemingly been trying to recruit women into the group with Malachi Black and King and Matthews and everything. And Sky was one of those that she had targeted. So we don't know if we're going to get Sky resisting. We don't know if this is the match where Sky fully turns and joins. But we do know that it could potentially become a two on one. And I mean, it still could with Sky teaming with Statler. I mean, I think you're going to see all three at one point working together. And then towards the end, you're going to see something big happen yeah. where either it becomes a two-on-one situation with Chris Statlander having to fight the both of them off and picks up the victory, or I think we see it where Sky Blue helps Julia win the championship. What do you think? I have not been following this storyline very much, I'll be completely honest. That's fine. Um, you know, I'm not able to catch all wrestling. Uh, I, what I do know... Is that since Kristan Statlander has came back, she's had a lot of hype behind her. People were really happy to see her again. I marked when she came back. Marked when she won the title. R.I.P. Jake Cargill. Um, <laughs> but uh, I I love Chris Statlander and I love her act. And based on a little bit that you just said. I think I'd rather have them turning that more into a feud with Sky Blue and Julia Hart coming out of the match where she, you know, is adamant about not joining the House of Black. And I'd like to see Chris Statlander. Wow, say that <laughs> a million times. Chris Statlander. Um, I'd like to see Statlander win the match and retain the title. Okay. I, too, would like that. I am a fan of Statlander. I to me, Julia and Sky, like Statlander's like got the both of them on every sort of advantage there is in this match, to be honest. So um I to be honest, I wouldn't necessarily think I don't think Julia Hart's ready for something like that. And also I don't think Sky Blue is ready for something for a championship run. Uh, nothing against them themselves. It's just I feel Chris is more put together. Yeah, and a, I, sorry, I didn't it, mean to cut you no, off. That's all right. I think she's more put together as a competitor with her promo skills. 
uh, in-ring skills than Julia and Sky. Again, no offense to them. It's just I'm calling a spade a spade here. Right. That and exposure, too, plays a large part into it. Julia has had some of it. Sky Blue is starting to get a little more exposure. I think let the rest of their feud with each other play out and gain some more steam behind it, and then maybe you revisit the idea of them winning you know, the TBS championship or even vying for the women's world title a little further down the road. I think they both have what it takes. I think they're just on that ascent right now. Yeah, and and I don't think they've had Julia Hart actually wrestle enough on TV or anything like that to, like, really get a a title at this point right now, so... I agree. Uh, The next is a four-way tag team match for the AEW World Tag Team Championship, we have Ricky Starks and Big Bill as your champions, taking on Rush and Drastilistico. Drillistico. That's what I meant to say, Drillistico. I, I said draw. Like I, <laughs> told, I, like, I like sounded it out as I was you saying. You did what I just did when I tried to say Chris Statlander's last name. Yeah, I, I, I completely sounded it out. I, my We've bad. gone over this. You let me say the names of the people that aren't from the U.S. Well, this isn't New Japan Pro Wrestling, and I actually knew the name. It's just I literally was spelling it out as I was saying it for some reason, <laughs> just, to, just to make sure I was saying it right. Uh, uh, don't change it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, they're taking on FTR, Cash Wheeler, and Dax Harwood. And they are also facing the Kings of the Black Throne, Malachi Black, and Brody King. Now, uh, it was in the dirt sheets, Al, that Ricky Starks and Big Bill won as a favor. Why, I don't know. Uh, Ricky seems to be doing like heelish promo work from what I've been seeing. I will say this as a tag team, Ricky Starks and Big Bill as the champions has not done anything for me. They, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure they're being like the tag team that's like, yeah, we have the titles, but we don't want to defend them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's kind of what we're getting out of like the heels. They're like that. They're like a heel dollar store version of Enzo and Cass. That's essentially what I feel like we're getting again, and Ricky's being Enzo. But you can't top Enzo's mic skills. Sorry, Ricky. And you can't teach that. Literally. Um, If I had to pick anyone, because as far as a storyline goes, like we know what has happened with Cash Wheeler, and at first that's why I thought they were going to have him drop the titles was because of his incident with the the road rage incident getting arrested yeah with a gun um, so I don't know if that plays an effect on how their career is going right now I don't see uh, Russian Dralistico winning to be honest so if I had to pick anyone I would I, I'm going that it's either going to be Ricky Starks and Big Bill retaining. Or the I'm saying the wild card team here, Brody King and Malachi Black, pick up their first wins for the House of Black championships, even though they were trios. Well, not their first belts, but their first tag team gold, right. aside from the trio. So to add to what we were saying about uh, them winning the tag team titles being a favor, it was a favor to FTR. Um, this was also reported to. Um, the reason they did the favor for them is because Cash Wheeler was also injured. 
around the time of their match. He, I believe, I want to say it might have been another bicep injury. He's had issues with that bicep ever since he, like, sliced it open that one time on Dynamite, I believe it was. It was on either Dynamite or Rampage. Um, but it was it was injury-related. He needed some time off. Um, I don't think Roosh and Drillistico have been built up the right way to win the tag team titles just yet. I think that could easily be done in time. I don't think that this is their night. I would like to see Ricky and Big Bill lose the titles because I want to see them both go on and do bigger and better things. Uh, I think Ricky Starks busting into the TNT title division after this whole Edge and Christian or Adam Copeland and Christian Cage thing is done. I think could be a good spot for him, too. He's already got a little bit of a built-in thing going on with Adam Copeland already. So I think that would give him some exposure to bigger stars. And honestly, with all the work that Big Bill has put in over the past years, you know, beating his addiction issues, going on to have an awesome run and impact, and then coming to AEW, while he might not be the person to win it, I think he'd be a good challenger for the AEW World Championship, too, at this point in his career. So I, I think they both have more upwards direction they can take if they lose the tag team titles and they've had enough of it it hasn't been a super long reign but it hasn't been a super short reign i think they've had enough of a tag team title reign at this point to warrant that so my two uh, you, you can never bet against ftr because they could win the tag titles on any given night at any given company so i i think it's possible that they win uh, we're going to actually agree for once because I've heard some rumblings that there's tag team plans for Malachi and Brody because uh, Buddy Murphy or Buddy Matthews, whatever he goes by now, uh, I think has been taking care of his visa issues and whatnot. I'm going to agree with you and say that Kings of the Black Throne take the tag team titles. And then if and when Buddy Matthews comes back, you have the possibility of them playing up the Freebird rule. Yeah, where anyone can defend them. Yep. I like that. Um, this brings us to our last match. Uh, match number nine of the night, including the uh, pre-show, Zero Hour. We have the AEW World Championship champion MJF taking on Bullet Club Gold member and leader Jay White. Now, we'd already talked about uh, the synopsis of uh, the background to this match as we'd already, we talked about it in the beginning with MJF and a, the mystery partner taking on the guns because those two matches seemingly tie in to like one storyline, the two matches. So mm-hmm. uh, fans, if you don't, if you got this far and can't remember what we said, uh, basically MJF's feud started with bullet club gold when uh, Jay white basically was, I'm the reason why you're friends with Adam Cole and blah, blah, blah. And then they, you know, they attacked, uh, Bullet Club Gold attacked, MJF took his world title, challenged him for his world title while they still had his world title in possession. And then after that, the guns were like, well, if you're challenging for a title, we want to challenge for a title too. So then they came in and were like, hey, we want to face you for the ROH Tag Team Championships and we don't care if you have a partner or not. And of course, MJF accepted, so, uh... MJF's pulling double duty on Saturday, November 18th, ladies and gentlemen, on Fight TV at AEW Full Gear. So, knowing the storyline behind all of this, because it, it literally it dates back uh, into September, you know, 
dating back a few months, two months, you know, to be exact. Al, you earlier said that depending on what happens in the first match could play out what happens in this match. With that being said, because those were your words, who do you think wins? So, I actually think MJF retains the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships, like I said earlier. I think this is the night, and I'm going to be real bold, I think this is going to be the night that MJF loses the AEW World Championship. I think he's going to lose the AEW World Championship to Jay White because they've built up this story pretty well, and there's a lot of factors going into it. You have Bullet Club Gold, who could possibly be on the outside and interfering. And most importantly, you have the man in the mask, the devil, who has been just wreaking havoc on this entire storyline. And this is the reason that this man was least likely to be MJF's partner on the pre-show to me. I have a feeling you are going to see the devil cost MJF the world championship, and it is going to be none other than Adam Cole. They have been basically foreshadowing this for a while, that one of them was going to turn on each other since their feud started, their friendship started, and at first it looked like it was going to be MJF, and then this organic babyface turn happened, and MJF is quite possibly the hottest thing in pro wrestling right now, the hottest thing in sports entertainment right now. I would put what he's doing as more entertaining than anything in any company right now, and it's not a shot of any company. So I, I, I think that if you're going to get the most heat you possibly can, and hear me out because this is a couple steps, you're going to have the man in the mask cost at MJF the world title match. He's going to come down to the ring, and it's going to be revealed to be Adam Cole, costing him the world title. And then you are going to see Adam Cole, Roderick Strong, Matt Taven, and Michael Bennett beat the absolute hell out of MJF, showing a reunited kingdom at the end of the pay-per-view. This leaves... MJF with another tag team partner for the Ring of Honor World Championships, which ties that story in of having that that person step in to be his tag team partner because they quite possibly take over as his tag team partner going forward. And then you have this gigantic refeud between MJF and Adam Cole, and it's not like it's replaying anything. It's a, it's an entirely different dynamic going forward. I think you give Jay White a couple months with the AEW World Championship. That solidifies him as the main event star, or one of them, on AEW. You could have MJF win it back at Revolution, or maybe even further on from that. And that sets up for the final rematch for the AEW World Championship between MJF and Adam Cole at Double or Nothing. I would like to remind you at one point in my time as a wrestling fan, I looked at you and said, who the hell is Jay White? You did. He was in New Japan at the time, and you said, who the hell is Jay White? You know when that was? I remember when that was. It was when he won the IWGP World Championship. Yep. And you said, who the hell is Jay White? Yep. Now I know who Jay White is, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Um, No, so I got a question for you, though, because 
you predicted that it would be Adam Cole to be MJF's mystery partner in that. I said he was the least likely. The least likely, and I picked him. So if it's Adam Cole, and they win that, and he is the man in the mask and costs MJF the world title, he still has to team with him. That could create another dynamic if if it does end up being that Adam Cole's his partner, and does come back and cost him the title. The only reason I said I didn't think it was Adam, like I said earlier, I don't think they show Adam recall Adam Cole's return on the pre-show. And that's the only thing that kind of trips up this entire theory mm-hmm. for me. Um, but I mean, it's AEW; they could do whatever they want. It's their company. So that creates another fun dynamic, though, like having to defend these titles with somebody that just cost you the world title but then they could also do the same thing they could jump mjf at a later tag team title match and then adam cole has a replacement partner and it ends up being someone from the kingdom and you know i i i 100 see interference in the roh tag team match whether it's juice robinson whether it's jay white i don't see the man in the mask making an appearance on the pre-show to cost him I don't see the man in the mask costing him on both matches. No. I mean, it could happen, but I don't see it. I mean, you could see MJF lose both matches, but I'm saying he wins both matches. I'm saying he retains. Um, I'm saying that the man in the mask comes out and does, you know, we find out who it is, but I'm going to think that some sort of mistake gets made and MJF still pulls off the victory. Now, I was going to save talking about the man in the mask uh, at the end, but since you brought it up, we're going to talk about him now. You have already given your prediction on who it is. I literally don't have one. There's been a lot of rumblings, yes, of Adam Cole. There's been rumblings that it's CM Punk, even though we know that he was... There was a legal letter sent out that he was fired. Yeah. They and... weren't, they're not going to send out a legal letter that he was fired if he wasn't fired because you can get into actual legal situations and stuff at that point you could you could end up with backlash from sponsors DraftKings sponsors AEW you you find out that these companies that are sponsoring you are losing money because there was a legal letter sent out that this man was fired and he really wasn't that puts them in some real issues it's not CM Punk yeah I honestly don't have a prediction to be honest with you on this one uh, it's something I've been weighing and trying to think of. Uh, there's also been rumors it's Jungle Boy. That'd be interesting. So I've heard that name be brought up as well because we've also haven't seen Jungle Boy or Jack Perry on on television either. So uh, whoever it is, it's definitely a thinner male. It's not someone who's like a... And they're not tall either, which is also why I was like leaning towards a Jungle Boy. Why... And Adam Cole makes sense also. Mm -hmm. Uh, Time will tell. We're going to find, hopefully we find out Saturday. Now, who do you have? You are, you're going with Jay White? Yeah, I'm going to go with Jay White on this one. Okay. So we were different for most of this pay-per-view, which is rather interesting. So Saturday, we're going to find out who, who had the, the best prediction card here. And fans, you'll be able to go to uh, our Facebook, facebook.com slash perched on the top rope. On Saturday morning, when we do our AEW full gear predictions thread post. So make sure you jump on there because if you guess the card, 
you're the first person to guess the card correctly or the first person to have the most amount of matches wins, we are going to mail you an AEW 8x10 autograph of a random star because, well, I have more than enough autographs. <laughs> so uh, make sure you go and do that. And we've done the picking of the, the masked man, the devil himself, who we think it is. Now, earlier, Alex, we talked about the six, not the six man, we talked about the Golden Jets and the Young Bucks. I am picking the Young Bucks because I said there was a, another person for Kenny Omega that once had the golden name, and he's already been in AEW a few times. And after AEW Dynamite, it was announced he is hashtag all elite, ladies and gentlemen, Kota Ibushi. Is now with All Elite Wrestling, Alex. Remember when Coda, after the Cruiserweight Classic with WWE, said he would never sign to wrestle in an American company? He said it wasn't anything against WWE. He just said he was not going to. He did not want to sign for an American company and wrestle in America. Well, how the tables have turned after his falling out with New Japan Pro Wrestling. Oh, he had a wild falling out with New Japan Pro Wrestling, especially when he started tweeting about the Yakuza and everything like that. Because lucky he made it out of that country alive. Yeah, to be honest with you, um, that that can be some scary shit. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd want to deal with the yakuza. Mm-mm. They got a saying: if you talk too much, bye bye tongue. Bye bye tongue. So, I like my tongue. I also like my tongue. It's cut me the number two podcast in America. That was like solid. Incredible. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so I'm actually really excited for him to be there because we could see Kenny Omega and Coda reunite and reform the Golden Lovers, which... Um, the Golden Showers, yes. Yeah. <laughs> God. You were a little too into that. Yeah, because the, uh, the finishing move there, if you remember correctly, that they had the simultaneous 450 splash... Mm-hmm. Uh, when I when I wrote about them as a tag team and I went to interview Kenny Omega, he actually turned to the Young Bucks and he was like, Hey, this is the kid who ranked the Golden Shower third. And I was like, I actually had it first. The company moved it around. It didn't look good for that name to be... Yeah. So they didn't like that. So it got, And he didn't like that, the fact that it got moved to number three, but... It was real cool. It was a neat experience to have with him. So <clears throat> that's why I picked the Young Bucks because I can see them reuniting and Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi. So what I like about this card is there's a lot of matches where it's not. It's unlike WWE is sometimes where you can see who the clear cut winner is going to be. You go into a Roman Reigns match recently, you know he's going to win. You go into a Gunther match, you know he's going to win. Most Seth Rollins matches, you know he's going to win. And it, does, it doesn't matter there because their matches are still entertaining. But WWE can be a little predictable at times. Mm-hmm. This card is very unpredictable in the sense that there's a lot of different creative avenues that the participants involved could go in, whether they win or lose, that are already all built into storyline. AEW, I feel like, is starting to kind of slowly go back on an upside. Um, feels like they've been, in my opinion, in a little bit of a lull since the whole CM Punk situation happened because they, and injuries have followed because they're kind of trying to move everything around, get everything in the right spot, and then it was a domino effect. Something else would happen that would affect something else. 
kind of feels like they're starting to catch a groove right now in the creative and the company. I, I'm, I'm digging it. Okay. Well, there was also one other announcement by Tony Khan that was made on AEW Dynamite. And that announcement came in the fact that at AEW Full Gear on Saturday, this person will be there to sign their new AEW contract. It's a new signee. We don't know who it is. It's I, Ryback. Oh, I'm sure Ryback said it's Ryback. So. No, he actually said it wasn't him on TikTok earlier today. Well, any other time he's trying to get into a company, so I would assume that he was pushing for it. <laughs> um, I'm going to give a few names that have been brought up. The first name that I've heard is Dolph Ziggler. Though we know he has 90-day clause, he cannot appear on TV. Yep, he is contractually not able to appear on a television show along with the other superstars released that day until December 22nd. Other names that have been brought up, Alex, have been Will Ospreay. But he is signed with New Japan till February. Though he has been allowed to work other companies, I don't know if New Japan's going to allow a current star to go sign with another company while still under contract. Absolutely not. Uh, another name brought up, which is uh, hilarious, because I've, I strictly remember when Tony Khan said that this person was banned. Hulk Hogan is a name that had been brought up. Brother, brother, brother. So I don't know if that is a realistic thing or not. It came up when Ric Flair signed with AEW that there was a potential for Hulk Hogan to come in. Please don't. Uh, especially when Sting brought his name up in his uh, promo when he was saying that he was going to be retiring in 2024. Yeah. No, we already saw how that worked out with TNA. Yeah. Another name brought up, Alex. Mercedes Monet. Ding, ding, ding. That's my pick. It's You're... the only one, it's the only top free agent in the world that makes sense to me in pro wrestling right now all the big ones under contract still hulk hogan please no i've got one for you that hasn't come up and she was literally just finished with impact wrestling mickey james she's no longer under contract with impact wrestling she could be the one Because it's a top, I mean, a top free agent. The only two I had thought of personally was Will Ospreay, you know, and especially since hey, if you go to YouTube.com at Perch on the Top Rope, you can hear me on uh, the Impact Press Pass interviewing Will Ospreay, and it was a good time. So I got to do that, but I think it's going to be Mickey James. You've also interviewed Mickey James on the Impact Press Pass. Which is also on YouTube at YouTube.com at Perched on the Top Rope. Okay, I did the plug this time. So make sure you go and you check that out, fans. Um, the only thing with Mickey, a couple things. I still think it's possible she stays with TNA because she did release info herself saying that she was taking a break, quote unquote. So possible that she'll be back. Sometimes people say break and then they go to a different company too. So can't rule that out of the equation. Yeah, Christian um, and Kurt Angle. Yeah, what we also can't rule out of the equation with Mickey is that she makes 
another return to WWE, considering that her husband is currently the general manager of SmackDown and also a producer for WWE at the moment. Okay. Nick Aldis is married to Mickey James. It could be easier now that he's working for WWE, which also, who thought we'd live in a day and age where Nick Aldis is working for WWE and Mickey James isn't? It's always been the other way around. Yeah. Um, I think maybe it's possible with Nick working there that he talked to them or they talked to him and were open to the idea of bringing Mickey back because of, you know, the whole having their family together and traveling because a lot of these people put their families first as they should. Um, and I feel like they kind of owe Mickey James one more good run after the way she was released last time. The trash bag incident. Yep, I think that they could make that up to her. They have apologized to her. Stephanie McMahon has publicly apologized on behalf of the company for her because she was also unaware that that had happened, and I'm pretty sure somebody got fired over that. Well, they also, if you remember, they brought Mickey James in with the Impact World Championship for, for the, the Royal Royal yep. Royal Rumble. Yeah, so it, it's very clear that WWE still has a good relationship with Mickey James, so I don't want to rule out her making one more return and having one last run in WWE, possibly culminating in a Hall of Fame induction at some point, and possibly pairing her and Nick Aldis up together on TV at some point. There's there's a lot of options there now that Nick is also with WWE, which could end up pulling him into in-ring competition because it's it's been pretty well documented that while Nick is in this position at this point, there are plans for him to eventually be an in-ring performer for WWE. Hell yeah. Um, so for that reason, I don't think it's Mickey James, but I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility because she could still end up doing that. You never know. I just, I, I, with all of the hype, I have a feeling it's a Mercedes Monet. They showed her at All In, sitting in the crowd. Tony has been open about wanting to have contract talks with her. Um, another person, it's a free agent that people have not brought up. It's entirely possible that it could be Bill Goldberg. Yeah, it, it is an interesting one because the way that Tony Khan worded it, we've agreed to the terms of this person. You know what I mean? You don't hear that when you sign somebody. So that tells me it's got to be somebody big where they had, like, they're going to come in and say, like, they had outlandish demands toward, to the company if they wanted them. You know what I mean? You know who else? You know what Goldberg wanted, though? Hmm. A retirement match. That could be one of the terms that yeah. they agreed to. It could be Sting. Could be, could Sting. be Sting. That's the other thing that led me to believe that. There's one other name. That we left out, Al. She's no longer with WWE. And it's a name that I never would have thought you would see work the independence. And Friday, November 17th in LA, she's actually working an independent show. Rowdy Ronda Rousey. Ooh. That kind of goes along with your agreed to the terms of thing. Because you know who she uh, teamed with at the independent show? Marina Shafir. And where's Marina, where does she work? AEW. Hmm. Interesting. Could get a reunite. If they pull in Jasmine Duke, too, at some point, they could have somewhat of a reuniting of the four horsewomen. Obviously, Shayna Baszler is signed to WWE, so she would not be involved, which wouldn't make sense anyways, considering they just had a feud that 
Sheena basically kicked Ronda out the door. So, I mean, that's that's another one that's possible. I feel like a good top three for me would be that it's either Ronda, Mercedes, or Goldberg. Okay. Because as, as much as some people don't want to see Goldberg in the ring at this point, terms could also be the length of the contract. And if it were to be Goldberg, it could be agreed that this is a short-term contract that eventually allows him to retire. Um, people might not want to see him in the ring at this age, but I also feel like Goldberg has given enough to the wrestling business to where he deserves a proper labeled retirement match in front of a giant American crowd. I agree. Everybody deserves the retirement match. Yeah. You know, that's why, like, think about it when Adam Copeland, Edge, when he was in WWE, uh, when he retired, you know... It wasn't on his term, so he fought to get back there. Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson, whatever you want to call him, same thing in WWE. Didn't get a proper retirement match, wants a, you know, is going to want a retirement match, and now has announced that after this year, he will only be wrestling part-time. The end of his full-time career is coming to an end here very shortly. It's really weird to think that people like Brian Danielson and Adam Copeland and Christian Cage aren't finishing their careers in WWE. It is. I mean, we heard what Adam Copeland had to say, just that WWE didn't have anything for him anymore, and it was time to move on. And he didn't really have anything for them either, so it, it makes sense. His makes sense in, in the sense that he very clearly wants to end his career with Christian. Yeah. And, you know, there was a lot of speculation at some point, the possibility of them finishing their career in WWE. But now it's seemingly more of they're going to finish their career in AEW. Yep. And there is, without a shadow of a doubt, you are going to see them reunite, possibly face the Hardys. And who knows? Even though they signed Legends deals, you could possibly get a remake of Hardys, Edge and Christian, or Adam Copeland and A&C, Christian Cage. A&C, not A&C, A&C. Yeah. <laughs> so them and uh, the Dudleys. Which, just because you have a Legends deal doesn't mean you can't not sign for another company because Bully Ray is still under exclusive TNA Impact Wrestling contract right now. And Sirius busted open. Yeah, so... And... 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 We've seen him wrestle in NWA. He's wrestling in Impact now. So, if you remember correctly, if you fans, if you go to Perched on the Top Rope, well, let me do it this way. If you go to YouTube.com at Perched on the Top Rope, you can listen to Tatanka explain how the Legend contract works and, exp- and how he explains that you can, with his specific Legends deal, he can still go wrestle elsewhere. That is YouTube.com at Perched on the Top Rope. That is our interview with WWE legend Tatanka. I was going to say, there's nothing stopping Bully from coming and appearing on AEW. RVD's under WWE Legends contract, and he has been regularly competing in AEW as of recent. Yep, and we're also going to see him, hear me out here, we're also going to see RVD. Uh, He's part of Big Time Wrestling. Bobby Fulton's son, Dylan, uh, runs that. He's... uh, has a con- has a contract with with them as well, and you know who else? Riddle will also be working with Big Time Wrestling as well, uh, and they actually have a match against each other against each other 
uh, in Big Time Wrestling. I can't remember where it is or anything like that, but uh, fans, you can go to BigTimeWrestling.com and check that out. It's going to be them just passing a blunt back and forth to each other throughout the entire match. The first one falls and gets the, the, the pin yeah, wins, right? It's going to be, bro, dude, bro, dude, and then one of them is just going to pass out. Yeah, and hopefully at the end, you got two thumbs pointing, and it's R-V-D. And speaking of RVD, ladies and gentlemen, remember, spoiler freeze, the way to be. But first, go to youtube.com slash perched on the top rope so you can check out all our interviews and unboxing videos and shorts on YouTube. Go like, comment, subscribe. You can also find us anywhere and everywhere podcasts are found from apple google spotify podbean podbay red circle stitcher you name it we're there it's perched on the top rope and because i have to say it again for all of you who have kept perched on the top rope on the chartable rankings second in the usa under the wrestling category 83 in america under sports 149 in australia 64 in saudi arabia 72 in South Africa, 69 in the Philippines, all under the wrestling category. And we are number six in Algeria in the sports category and ranked second in Algeria in wrestling under Chartable's top 250. So ladies and gentlemen, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. You can also find us on TikTok, perched on the top rope, where we have... do the thing. Yep, we have great scenes recreating the greatest moments in professional wrestling history using Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On because that song makes everything better, including Zack Ryder winning the Intercontinental Championship at WrestleMania 32. Because if you're going to try and tell me that that is not one of the greatest moments in professional wrestling history, you're a liar. We also have the Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan getting humped by a dog. That's right, the Taskmaster... Kevin Sullivan, that people once blamed on the death of Nancy, Chris Benoit, and their son, getting humped by a dog. TikTok, perched on the top rope. You can also find us on twitch.tv slash perched on the top rope, where I am currently ranked under 150 on AEW Stadium Stampede for the video game AEW Fight Forever. You can also catch me on there playing 2K23 WWE. And every once in a while, if you're a Madden fan, you can watch me with the Buffalo Bills because I'm playing better than them in the league right now. He's a hustler. I just want you to know. I'm just upset that he beat me. By over 20 points, by the way. Rude. You're welcome. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash perched on the top rope. We are on Twitter, perched top rope, because according to Elon Musk, perched on the top rope is too long. Boo. You can also find us on Instagram and threads at perched on the top rope podcast. So remember, fans, spoiler freeze, the way to be. We're out.